Welcome back to the Bond Revisited podcast. You are listening to part three of episode 24 where we revisit and rank Spectre. With Bond on a train heading to Spectre's base, Bond and Swan decide to dress up for dinner, only to be rudely interrupted. Join us as we take a look and eventually add Spectre to our rankings. We're back to the train. It's now later on. It's pretty much night and uh, we're seeing it kind of carrying on going through the desert. Uh, We're in the dining carriage now of the train and Bond is there waiting in his white tux. The white tux with the the red flowery bit. It's all there. The look's all there. It's complete. Um, Looks good. And he's waiting for uh, Swan to arrive, which she does. And she's in a very beautiful dress as she walks down and and sits opposite him on this uh on this dinner table and i can't remember what they say before but they eventually order a drink oh, i think it's because she says about oh alcohol makes me do silly things or something like that so she orders a, a dirty vodka martini which bond says yeah that sounds good i'll have one as well <laughs> and before the drinks arrive they're just talking to each other and she's asking about why Bond does what he does, being an assassin, pretty much, always being alone, always being hunted, always being in the shadows. And he replies by saying that he's not sure if he's ever had a choice and he's never really stopped to think about it. And if he did stop to think about it, um, or he don't know, he doesn't know what would happen if he did stop to think about it. So, yeah, she's sort of trying to understand James a bit more, especially in relation to knowing what her father did and and how that led, I suppose. Uh, but yeah, the drinks arrive, the, the martinis and uh, on a tray, and Bond just says, put them down there. And Swan is saying that you always have a choice in the matter. And they, they drink to that. And afterwards, Bond looks into the reflection of the, there's a cocktail shaker on the tray from the martinis. And he sees in the reflection... Uh, a big man walking towards them. It's Hinks, everyone. Mm. <laughs> he's back. He's back. And it all happens very quickly. He looks at the reflection and suddenly he's like right there and just smashing the table that they're on. Uh, and we're getting into um, a very kind of rough and ready fight scene between the two. So, yeah. Although I will say Hinks does look very good. Like he's got a nice suit on as well. <laughs> he's dressed the part as well. Um, and he picks up Bond and kind of, Smashes him against the wall. Bond has got his gun and he tries to shoot, but the, you know, the gunshots just go up in the air because Hinks is holding his arms. And yeah, the two start fighting and um, throwing each other across the carriage, smashing the place up. It kind of moves on as well, further down the carriage. At one point, Swan gets gets slapped by Hinks and she gets kind of knocked out by that on the floor. Um, and it's now just Bond and, and Hinks fighting. And there's no music in this scene. It's all very much just just the the audio of what would be happening. It's it's the grunts and the smashes and the train tracks um, from outside. Uh, yeah, so Bond is is there throwing stuff, throwing bottles. At one point, he throws this kind of candle at, at Hinks, which sets him alight. So he has to take off his jacket and moves further down. They reach a bar area, and I think it's an ice pick. I guess it's like some sort of spiky implement bond picks up and and tries to use as a weapon to stab hinks and doesn't really get very far uh it gets thrown around some more they eventually make their way into the kitchen area um throwing some pans gotta have some pans being thrown obviously 
Uh, and then finally, past the kitchen, they're now into this uh, storage area, I guess, like a storage carriage, lots of crates and things in there. And by this point, like Bond has never really managed to get the upper hand. He's kind of just been thrown around by Hinks. And uh, yeah, he's pretty much wiped out by this point. Hinks slams him on top of a crate. He's not looking too good. And Hinks opens one of the, the side doors in this carriage as if he's about to throw Bond out of the train. Uh, but before he can do that, Swan is back. She's woken up. Uh, she's got the gun and she shoots Hinks in the arm. Uh, so he sort of stumbles back and, and hides in some of the crates in this carriage. She peers around. She's still got the gun and uh, she goes to shoot, but it's out of bullets now. So with that, Hinks kind of crashes out of the, the crates and and grabs her by the neck. So he's kind of temporarily distracted with her, which leaves Bond a chance to jump up and and uh, tie some rope around Hinks's neck. As he does that, and the sort of fumbling all, all around, there's some kegs on this carriage, which start to get knocked out. They're all chained together, I think. And they all start to fall out of the open door. Um, and as they're falling, Bond, at the last second, attaches the other end of the rope of uh, around Hinks's neck. He attaches it to one of the kegs. And so as they're all tumbling out, at the last second, Hinks realises what's what's happened and, uh, yeah, gets launched out of the carriage with uh, of all of the, the kegs being being thrown out. So um, that was that was a fight scene. Um, <laughs> obviously, uh, it's I don't think it was a bad fight scene, really. Um, it's very much you can tell what they were trying to do here uh, with with the the environment the the lack of music the sort of roughness to it it's all very much from Russia of Love um, Bond and Grant in that fight scene and I think for the most part I think it, they pull it off um, I wish that we were a bit more invested with I think we said before like Hinks hasn't really had a chance to to have much character because of the lack of dialogue and I think that doesn't help this scene because this is this is him now gone um, but I think for the most like yeah the way it moves through the train is pretty good and there's enough stuff happening to to keep it interesting. I still don't think it's as good because I think, you know, the From Rush of Love one was was in one cabin and it was a lot more cramped and claustrophobic, but, you know, they can't just copy things exactly. And I think as a, as a little uh, throwback to it, it does a good job. And I like that Swan gets involved as well and helps out. And yeah, not bad. Mm, I, I think I can't remember what episode it was, but I'm sure I talked about once how like the importance of a fight scene is like setting up all the elements before the fight even begins, and that's where you kind of get the advantage of something like a Jaws, where like Jaws you see him a ton and you see him like bite someone to death and he's almost like a Frankenstein like visually you kind of get it and you're sold so when Bond goes up against it there's a little bit more to it because he's been successfully kind of set up and established but yeah as we said Hinks has not done enough to really give you that payoff of now Bond has to fight him and they do do the whole oh Hinks is a lot bigger than Bond so kind of dominates him from that stuff which is great you know we've seen that a ton teehee everybody Mm -hmm. Uh, it's that sort of thing but yeah it just kind of really hammers home how they did him dirty from a sense of they just didn't give him enough screen time like he was in the film he was in the spectre meeting he was in that chase he was in the other chase but 
Like a villain doesn't get, or a henchman doesn't get set up by simply sitting in a car. And then like in the Rome scene, they barely cut to him. You barely even see him at all. And then in the Austria plane chase, you barely see him at all again. It's just, yeah, it's similar to what I said about the sea stuff in the last scene. The damage is kind of already done. And if I think if they showed him a lot more on screen and showed him kind of being a little bit more intimidating and he wasn't just a body in the passenger seat not doing anything for a good while, this could have been quite a nice payoff to finally see him go one-to-one. Or what they sometimes do where it's like Bond fights him a little bit and it doesn't go well so he runs away. Like I think that's what they did with Jaws. Like there is a fight but he just loses and gets away. And then he comes back and he has to find a more inventive way to kill him. Which is what somewhat happens here. Like Bond has to use an inventive way, which is using the keg to launch him out by his neck. Like that's a pretty effective way to kill someone. Um, although I like the idea that he's not actually dead. <laughs> like Jaws wouldn't have died to that. No chance. Oh, Jaws has survived way worse things than that for oh, sure. Oh yeah, easily. They had to like, even when he like blew up in space, he was fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. So, but again, it's an effective way to take him out. But yeah, the the damage has already been done. They. Put, they wrote him into enough scenes but the two scenes that he had with bond was a was just chase scenes that weren't anything spectacular and they just didn't really show him a lot like even in like moonraker i think it was or maybe it was by love me where jaws is in a car he like leans out the car and is like going crazy and he's like i think he like steals someone's gun or something like that like someone's shooting and jaws just gets impatient like they inject that personality and you see him a lot. But this yeah. one is just like nothing. So when it comes to this final confrontation, it's just like, as you say, it's not bad. And it's a fun throwback, like a very direct, specific throwback. It's that white suit. It's Bond drinking with a woman who's all doled up. It's a train. And also it's like this Oriental Desert Express train that has the old timey feel like from Russia. It's very, very direct. But part of what made the From Russia With Love stuff good is that you saw Grunt throughout the film and now yeah. to pay off for that. There's, this isn't really a payoff. This is just kind of a goon fight and then he dies and it's like, oh, well, I guess next scene then. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's as good as it can be with what they set up. So <laughs> that's it, it was it was kind of handicapped, I think, with, with uh, Hinks, as you yeah. mentioned. I think the combination of having Bond in this suit, though, and putting him on a train, I quite like that, because I don't think Bond ever wore this suit on a train. Mm, no, I don't think so. Because it was, what, Sean Connery was Goldfinger at the start, and then Diamonds Are Forever, and then Roger Moore, I, I, I couldn't tell you, to be honest. I think he wore this quite a lot, to be honest. Oh, um, he but loved I don't it. think that was ever on a train. No, I remember Octopussy, but I can't remember any others. So yeah, yeah, so it's two very direct references merged together to make it feel very Bond, which is nice. That's kind of what you want. Um, so that that is quite successful from that standpoint. It's just, yeah, it's, it's too bad the fight itself falls flat due to the uh, the payoff not being there. Yeah, it, it, that's an easy thing to do as well. Like, it, don't get me wrong, a bit of fan service like that I'll happily take. But it is easy just to be like, right, let's put him in the white suit, train, beautiful dress, martinis. Check Bond thing? No, 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 but, no, 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 let's not go crazy now. No, that'd be stupid <laughs> to play Ridiculous the Bond idea. Thing. But yeah, it is quite an easy thing to do. So I, I can't give them too much credit, but I'm I'm still glad it's there at the end of the day. Yeah, like for a film called Spectre, you, you're allowed to do some fan service yes, like this. Yes, for sure. 
Uh, but yeah, just to end off this this train scene, um, Bond and Swan are kind of sat in that that storage carriage, uh, breathless after the fight. And Swan asks, "What do we do now?" Bond turns her and looks at her, and then it just cuts to them back in their their cabin, uh, kissing each other and undressing each other and walking over. Yeah, Bond carrying her over, and the, the title theme swells. The writing is on the wall. You can hear that, and uh, yeah, that's that. <laughs> They've now that's it. Like that, she's now falling in love. I suppose. Uh, to an extent, anyway. Um, but yeah, there's a there's a wide shot of the train, and they you see the train pull off in front, and it's just those two now um, off the train with a bit of luggage in the middle of a huge desert. Waiting. Yeah, this is this is when I get conflicted with the Swan stuff because I agree with what you're saying before. Like the way she's played is the strength. Like she's she does have real presence like she fits the bond girl mode but she kind of has her own personality and feel on screen like she is a great on-screen presence but it almost feels like we missed a scene for sure because it goes from like because what we've seen so far is that like bond goes to meet her she's like get the hell away from me and then go to hell yeah like she's she's not happy at all to then kind of being a bit drunk in the hotel room which makes sense it all connects together the to lies and killers that sort of line that all connects so then to them kind of getting on with it like she's like i want to find out what happened to my dad so she's going to go with bond all makes sense all connects so far to them being on the train and she's still a little bit distance and stuff and you know she can use a gun but she's explaining why not to all that great stuff it all connects it all makes sense i didn't like that one line about the the daddy stuff but again like overall connects and then the next time we see swan we just cut to them in the restaurant carriage bond's all suited up she's gone all out with this dress and like lipstick and stuff and then she's just like smiling and then they're just having like a chat over drinks and i'm just like i feel like something got missed where i'm not saying they weren't getting along at that point but it almost feels like there should have been another scene in between those to set this up because i don't quite buy that she would be in that mental state to enjoy herself in the the, in not in the way it's presented anyway i would agree with that yeah i think uh in my notes later on i did put that there are some parts that seemed very rushed with with swan and this is kind of where it begins i think i don't know I, i guess the idea is like in that situation the life and death situation that was enough to persuade her or make her come to a realization but equally it didn't really feel like enough had happened to warrant that because that has been a thing before where it's like, you know, Bond has saved a woman and that's been like, oh, James, you know, that that's that. But I don't know, this it didn't really feel like that. So, yeah, I could have done with maybe something a bit. Just, an, just another little scene in there. I think, you're I, right. I think that's all you needed. Just one scene to show like a little bit more chemistry between the two. It's not that they don't have chemistry, but something to kind of show that she's kind of calming down and bond and stuff like some sort of like back and forth. And maybe that did exist and they had to cut it for time. Um, I think we've already said about how it's quite a long film, but they do kind of pace things out decently well, or there was very clearly a deliberate effort to keep things moving forward. And it does kind of make certain stuff like this feel a little bit like quicker not in a hugely rushed way, but like, yeah, they clearly were conscious about that. Uh, so maybe there was a scene before this point, but it's like, there's, 
something felt a little bit missing here and i do kind of agree like it's fine with them kind of then getting together and sleeping together after all this um because they're you know they do kind of connect somewhat uh during that restaurant scene um so there is something there and some kind of connection but uh yeah there just wasn't quite enough especially for how important this character becomes yeah it almost feels like if if we were actually going to have them turn into an actual couple there probably just needed to be like one extra scene just to make it feel a little bit better because we're only like 20 minutes away from like don't think i'm going to fall into your arms and then 20 minutes later falls into his arms it's like (laughs) that doesn't like if you're gonna directly reference that and i think it's why i don't like that line so much if you're gonna have that line don't then just go back on that and pretend like oh yeah this is fine this is all natural this works it's like i don't mind uh the Bond films doing this sort of stuff because everyone kind of knows what it is. It's silly. It's fantasy the way that Bond and women are. But this one's almost like trying to take itself a bit more seriously and then kind of doesn't get that stuff quite right. So it's not like a massive misfire or anything. It's just, yeah, needed a little bit more just to make it uh, land a bit stronger. So what I'm getting from this, Tom, is that you would have liked a scene between Swan and Bond where he talks about his little finger. Uh, mm, uh, uh, no? <laughs> I do know what he can do with it, so. <laughs> oh, okay, maybe not. Yeah, but the, the dialogue between the two is all right as well. But uh, I think that also feels a bit rushed, like when they're talking to each other and Bond saying, "I don't know what I would do if I stopped." Like it's to set stuff up, but it's a decent conversation. Um, whenever you have this sort of chat though you are always going to compare it to the vesper scene in casino royale and it's always going to pale in comparison to that but it's still like decent i again i would just say maybe this whole thing's a, a bit rushed but you know some of the dialogue here i quite enjoy yeah so with bond and swan dropped off the train they are truly in the middle of nowhere in the middle of the desert i think it's supposed to be the sahara desert and there's just like a little small abandoned building so Bond just says this might be a long wait so we then cut to them kind of a little bit bored a little bit more settled in just standing in this building and Swan sees a car in the distance and it starts going towards them and Bond loads up his gun and kind of holds it and he then looks at the car and says that's a 1948 Royce 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 Rolls Royce that's the one such a weird name Um, (laughs) and yeah it's a very old car so it stops and a chauffeur gets out in a very like old timey like chauffeur uniform like what you would see in an old film someone who like runs a lift it's like going up sir like it's very like much that look (laughs) yeah Um, and he says uh yeah please uh so they we cut to the car driving down like this desert road and oh i don't know if this is the first time we get the skyfall music reuse but it's definitely the first one that I wrote down because this is the Patrice scene music in Shanghai just gets played here. Oh, okay. Yeah, like the one where, you know, Bond is walking through and it's all lit up and stuff. We get a version of that track here. Right. So, yeah, it's it's problem number three. I've already said, like, the first problem is just a complete mismatch with some of the scenes, which takes some of the energy or the, the vibe it's meant to give out of them. The second one, we already complained, the Bond theme just not being present. And now here's problem number three with the score. Just, here's a Skyfall song. Does it match? Is it thematically appropriate? Nope. 
<laughs> but we're going to play it anyway. Like, just compare to what that scene was, which was very quiet and moody and brooding and Bond going through this dark thing that's being lit up and assassination going on to just, like, a car driving down a road in a desert going to the... It is going to the main base, so there's some weight behind it, sure. But it's just, like, it's just not the same. Why would you... Why would you do this? Mm, you'll, you'll, you'll get what you're given and you'll enjoy it, Tom. No, I won't. Okay. I mean, I don't... No. <laughs> I refuse. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess we'll talk about that more later. But yeah, this is the first instance. And I think... Well, obviously you missed it. So obviously you can just miss it and not and not have it click. It's not the most obvious instance of it. But it's the mm. first sign of just like, well, why would you even do that? I just don't understand the choice. I, do you know what? I, the only... You're talking about this now. It is, it is one of my complaints. But... I, I will be honest, I guess I did miss a lot of them. The one that really stood out to me, and I can't even remember if it's already happened or not, but it's sort of uh, it's sort of like, it sort of goes like, dun, 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 and then there's a pause. And then I'm sure in another in Skyfall, it was like another, dun, dun, dun. Is that the, in the opening credits when Bond is doing stuff in Skyfall? Yes. Yeah. I think maybe the when Money Penny takes that shot, the bloody shot scene, maybe it's in there. There's yeah. definitely that sort of music in that scene. Because that's that's the that's the bit I recognised in this. But yeah, the the other ones maybe yeah, I, I didn't recognise them as much. But maybe that's just me being ignorant. I don't know. Well, yeah, the, possibly. <laughs> yeah, uh, definitely. The the one that I remember quite vividly from when I first watched this film, and it's the one that really annoyed me, is the guitar riff from the ice lake scene in Skyfall. Oh, I hate that. They yeah. just rip it and then use it in the finale of this one. And it's like, it's not the same. It's just mm. not the same. I'm so glad when I watch Skyfall, that stuff doesn't bother me, that I can still enjoy the music. Probably because it actually fits the scene, because it was written for that scene. And it's not written for these scenes, which is why it just feels so out of place. And the Skyfall music was so good, that just shoving it in here and expecting it to work, it just stands out. Like, Ooh. But that's the one that really annoyed me when I watched mm. it. And I was like, what the hell happened here? That annoyed me too. Yes, that one I did recognise. Yeah. So, yeah, they're in the car and Bond and James is in the back and Swan says, I'm scared, James. And Bond holds her hand. A little bit wooden there. I thought that was a little bit uh, not the best line uh, mm. delivery and moment. But, all right, I, at this point, there's supposed to be a couple. So I think it's meant to reinforce that a little bit more. But we see the car is kind of heading towards... It's... Hmm... It's like a canyon that circles in on itself. It's like these giant rock walls, but it's like circular. And inside there, there's like this facility and this base. I don't know what, how else to describe it. I think, oh, it's meant to be a big crater. Yeah, it's meant to be a crater, but it's very raised up. Like, this isn't a crater in the sense of, oh, it's a massive kind of hole in the earth. It's like everything has been like raised up around it. So you get these big rock walls almost in a circle. Yeah, I really like it, actually. I kind of forgot that this is where they set this bit. And it, what you learn about the character is it is a nice way of having a, a kind of silly villain base, but without it being so like on the nose as a reference. It's, it, it's, it's like a cool, it's just a cool visual. And that, that's all it needs to be but still relatively believable, I guess. 
Yeah, I kind of would have. I was a little bit disappointed by it because I I do get that feeling what you're talking about that this is probably what they're trying to do. This is the villain base, so they are kind of very deliberately trying to reference that. But this almost felt a little bit off, and I think it's just don't set stuff in the desert. Like it's it's not good. Like I don't like I don't want to see stuff in a desert. It's not interesting. Um, like that you need to do a little bit more so i think maybe it would have been smart if they didn't have this take place in the sahara desert if they found somewhere more interesting somewhere with a bit more color or something i don't know like obviously one of the most iconic ones is the scaramanga base and they probably were never going to live up to that but just don't do a desert like i just don't think deserts are visually that interesting to look at because it's a bloody desert it's in the name yeah, it doesn't help that so much of the film has had that color as well. Like the Tangier stuff was all very yeah. orange. The the Mexican stuff was all very orange, color color graded. So yeah, it, I can understand that. It does look very samey by this point. Yeah, but I like the idea of it. I just don't think it it lands on that department. So yeah, uh, we see something that is quite cool is that we see the car arrives up to where this base is, and there's grass. It's quite a modern, nice facility. And there's like pavements and stuff and there's just grass with sprinklers on them. It it feels quite alive. So I do like that, that visual contrast where the base itself has green grass, but it's surrounded by desert. I think that's quite cool. I'll give her marks for that. Um, So they pull up and get out and we see lots of men in suits standing nearby. And one of them greets them and greets them by name, saying, ah, Madeline Swan and James Bond. We're, We're very excited to finally meet you. And Bond says, well, it's it's a pleasure to be here. And the man explains, uh, your hosts will meet them for drinks at four. Um, but he does say there's one thing to take care of. And someone like comes in. Is this like an odd job sort of like dress? Not dress, but, you know, uh, uniform. Oh, what's the, very, like, the butler. Like he looks like a yeah. butler, but he's like a big butler. <laughs> big butler like a hedge yes. butler yeah yeah um, so he comes over and he just has like a metal tray and just puts it in front of bond and bond's like oh of course and then he puts his gun on it uh then we cut to bond kind of entering his room inside the facility and he walks in shuts the door and we see that there's a guard behind him standing outside and just waits there and he looks outside the window and he kind of sees all the different sort of buildings in this facility. They're all quite small, but they're quite like whitish silvery, I guess. Um, and there's a photo and it's a, the photo we saw before when Bond was in his flat and it's of James and this other man. And next to them is France, the, the guy that Bond has been chasing. The head of Spectre is in that same photo. So then we go to Swan in a different room and she's kind of just standing there as well. But she sees a photo has been placed in her room as well. And this one is of her and her father. I think it's the same picture we saw inside the American. Uh, It's just when she was like young, like eight or ten or something like that with her dad. And I, I love all this stuff. I, this, I think now that we've watched all of these films back to back like this... I now have much stronger memories of like the whole going to the villain's base and be treated like a guest. Yeah. Like that's so iconic classic Bond. And I always loved that stuff in the classic films with like Dr. No and Scaramanga. Like all that stuff is so fun to see that this, I love this stuff. I I thought it was so charming. I was so charmed. I was charmed off my chair 
that just oh. seeing Bond, this man being like, ah, your guest, we'll have drinks at four and Bond just going along with it and being happy. Especially because Swan was talking about how scared she was for four and then Bond is just like going along for the show. Like this whole fakeness to how fancy and rich and nice this all is and this like kind of fake sophistication to it all. It's just so classic Bond that I was just, ah, this was delightful, this whole scene. It was. I like this. As you say, big Doctor No vibes. And I was trying to remember, because it's, yeah, very similar setup where Bond and, and uh, Honey Rider are taken into that hotel and they have their separate rooms. Was there, I'm, am I trying to remember, is, was there photos in Doctor No that they'd put there? I don't or am remember I just making that, that up? no. Might just be making that up. Because when I was watching, I was like, wow, that's, that's a good callback. But I think I might be making things up in my head. Nonetheless, it definitely is, yeah. There are links there, so I like it too. It's um, it's little callbacks like this that aren't like the craziest. It's just the villain really acting overly nice sort of thing, which, as you say, we've seen so many times before. But um, it's it's a good setup to eventually seeing the character themselves. Yeah, it's just very enjoyable, very on the nose, but very enjoyable. I don't like the reason why I say I don't think Doctor No had it because it's like well, pictures of who. Yeah, like I, I, picture I of quarrel so. or something. <laughs> no, not quarrel. <laughs> not quarrel. Um, but no, yeah. Unfortunately, it this doesn't kind of go anywhere. Like we then go to the next scene. But what we needed, what I wanted, was a dinner scene. Like, oh yeah, there needed to. This needed to go to a dinner scene of them talking and having their back and forth. But instead, no, we we don't. We skip that bit. And it's like ah. That's what I wanted for, yeah. So this feeling of like, ooh, this is like the old stuff kind of disappears for me after this scene because it doesn't play out. Well, it kind of plays it that way, but they needed to have dinner at least. Dinner would have been good. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So we cut to Bond and Swan kind of being walked around the facility and they then say, they go out to one of the buildings because they're outside and he says, this is a special place. And he has requested that you enter it alone. And then he says, champagne? And Bond says, maybe later. Which I found quite interesting. I don't quite know what they're trying to say there, because we know Bond's a big old drunk. I don't know if it's supposed <laughs> yeah. to be, oh, well, this is serious if he said no to a drink. <laughs> but I like that they offer him champagne. I just think it's quite funny that Bond just actually said no, or maybe later to it, because normally I think he probably would have said yes, absolutely. It'd be funny if he was like, no, I'm good. And Swan was like, oh, yeah, I'll have him. Yeah, go on then. <laughs> I'll have both, why not? It's been a day. I'm, I'm, yeah, it's very stressful. Yeah, so they they go in. It's kind of like a... This building, it's it almost like... A, it's like a bit of a globe sort of thing. It's like circular on the top. It's not like a huge building. It's still quite small, but yeah, it's like a circular, like almost like a planetarium, I suppose. It's got that sort of look to it. Uh, which is quite appropriate because they go in and they see this big old rock in the middle of this empty room and it's all dark apart from the light in the middle of the room shining on this rock. So Bond and Swan slowly walk in the room, they slowly approach the rock and a voice then says, touch it, you can touch it if you want. And Swan recognises that it's a meteorite. Uh, then France kind of steps out of the shadows and starts talking because he was the one who said to touch it. And he says that this is the oldest meteorite in human possession. And it created the crater that they're standing in. And then he starts saying, well, think about it. So many years up there alone and silent and 
finally building momentum until it chose to make its mark on the earth. And I think I might be missing a line there because doesn't Bond respond or say something to it? Uh, doesn't he say like an unstoppable force and then Bond's like, well, it did stop. Yes, like that's that anyway. the one, yeah. Um, so yeah, Franz then walks forward and he says, I can't tell you how long I've been looking forward to this. All of us here together, a, a reunion. And then he says to Swan, oh, you were just a girl when I saw you, when I came to your home to see your father. Um, and then we cut to them walking through a different building. And there's like lots of people on the side. It's more like this corridor almost, but quite big. And there's a ton of people at these desks working on these screens. Somewhat high tech, but not like over the top. Um, trying to be a little bit more sleek than that. So she asks, like, what is this place? And Franz says, well, it's information. And then he starts explaining how the double O program is officially dead. And he's asking, so if it's dead, why did you come? And Bond just says, I came here to kill you. And Franz says, well, I thought you came here to die. Of which Bond says, it's all a matter of perspective. No idea what that means. Hate to be that honest, I, I think that's meant to be very weighty and very intense and very interesting, <laughs> but no idea what he's on about. It's one of those lines where it's like, if you actually stop and think about it, it just doesn't make any sense. Like, what What do you mean by that? It's almost just like trailer fodder. You know, I don't know if that was in the trailer, probably not. But like, that's the sort of line it is. It just sounds cool. doesn't mean a thing. Yeah, and this is where I'm a little bit disappointed with this stuff, where the din- why I wanted a dinner scene part four or five of my video essay um, is that like <laughs> that stuff was always like it's quite brief but it was always very effective in terms of the different philosophies and bond and front like uh, the villain going back and forth like it wasn't super deep or anything but it was interesting to see the differences you know especially with scaramanga and stuff like you got some of that differences and you can kind of understand where the friction and a good bond villain there's some sort of like chemistry there and middle ground but there's also like you can see fundamentally why they're different and why they kind of do what they do but they there's almost like this weird respect uh, it's all that sort of stuff and i feel like this dialogue is supposed to evoke that same feelings but it's mostly france just kind of ga- gushing a little bit about i'm so excited oh i'm so happy you're here and then just forcing in some of these lines like it's all a matter of perspective so like, just doesn't mean anything like, I would kind of like if they got a little bit more into, again, the philosophy of it all. But they're building up to the big reveal that comes later in the scene. So I think some of this dialogue falls flat. Um, and it kind of somewhat exposes why, as a villain, maybe this one is not one of the top ones. Because that chemistry between them. This is where it should really be shining. Just them yeah. talking back and forth. And it just kind of doesn't. It's it's not terrible, I don't think. The meteor stuff's alright. But yeah, it doesn't quite land its mark. No, it just feels a little bit awkward to me, to be honest. Yeah, so yeah, so they then... I think I got that a little bit wrong. I think they were actually in a smaller room then, and then they go into the room, which is with all the people on the screens. I think I got that a bit wrong. But yeah, so now they're in a, a different room with all these screens and people working, and they approach one of the screens, and Franz is like, is this live? And we see that it's camera footage of M giving a speech to MI6, and he talks about like thanking them all. And he says, oh, I, I believe C is going to keep you all very busy. So he doesn't say it explicitly, but this is him shutting down the department and saying thank you to everyone. So they applaud uh, the people in the footage. Um, so France and Bond kind of keep walking past the screen. And France says, it looks like you're all alone. 
because MI6 is gone. And Bond then goes into how, oh, well, so you watch people burn just so governments can join your network that you created. And Bond says, well, see, he's one of your disciples. If he's working for you, what does he get out of it? And France says, nothing. He gets nothing out of it. He's just a visionary like me, which I'm going to stop here because I actually really like that idea. Uh, I kind of, to me, it helps justify Silver being part of Spectre. That actually the way France has, you know, you you know structure some of these organizations yes there's like the loyal dogs and stuff but he does also allow people like a silver to be their own independent people who just agendas happens to align with spectre um so to me it kind of maybe i'm kind of searching for something that's not there but i kind of like the idea that spectre agents like a silver could work in a very independent way um which is what they're trying to set up with c obviously massively falls on its face with c and you almost needed like a silver style villain to sell this idea almost. Like yeah. C almost needed to be a lot stronger and a lot more independent to sell this idea. But I like the line. I like that concept that, yeah, they are one thing, but silver is not like a loyal dog to Spectre. He is just kind of a part of it because they both get something out of it. And, you know, silver was basically acting alone in that film. It's just, yeah, he has the the connection to Spectre. Again, I might be kind of overly trying to justify this to explain it, but I I like that idea. I like the idea of C not just being a loyal uh, dog to France. And also then it justifies uh, Silver not being that as well. Yeah, I like that idea too, to be honest. I I think there's definitely an avenue down there where you could could make that connection. I think the whole visionary thing to me is just, um, it kind of, well, no, I'll wait, I'll wait. I'll wait until a little bit later on to talk about that. It's fine. <laughs> Getting ahead of myself. <laughs> okay, cool. So then France, they're like in the middle of this room. It's like a big cross. So it's like there's four corridors around them, all with these people on computers. And they're kind of like standing in the middle of this uh, this crossroads. And France starts saying, uh, you came across me so many times, but you couldn't see me. And then he starts listing of all the different villains, like Silver and Le Chief and... I don't think he says green. <laughs> I should have wrote that oh. down. Green watch. Did we see a green? <laughs> Was he mentioned? Any love for green? Um, I can't remember. I can't remember. I just put that he listed off all the villains. Um, but yeah, that's all he says. He goes through them and Bond says, well, yes, and they're all dead. And France then explains a, a pattern then started developing with what happened. You interfered in my world, so I destroyed yours. And says, did you think it was just a coincidence that all the women in your life ended up dead? And he mentions Vesper, saying, oh, Vesper, she was the big one. And how could we forget about your beloved M being killed? And France says, it was all me, James. I am the author of all your pain. And he explains, he says to Swan, you're a very brave woman, uh, insinuating, associating yourself with James, because all the women in his life are killed. And at this point, everyone in the room stands up and kind of looks towards them. And France then starts playing some footage, which is some camera footage, which is inside Mr. White's house. And it's where Bond and Mr. White were talking at the table. And Swan starts watching the footage and Bond's all like, no. And he's like, no, 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 turn it off, turn it off. And then he shouts and runs at France and someone then knocks him to the ground and holds him and 
The footage shows Bond giving White the gun. And Bond says, Swan, don't don't look at the footage. Look at me, not the video. So she very like slowly turns, quite emotional, um, and looks at Bond. And Bond stares back, and we see them both staring at each other. And we're no longer seeing the footage, but we hear the... We hear the whole, you're a kite dancing in a hurricane, Mr. Bond. So long. And then the gun sound of White shooting himself off. At that moment, Swan flinches along with the sounds. And I think France says, uh, the things that bring people together out of horror, beauty. And then at that moment, someone knocks Bond out. Uh, thoughts? Thoughts and feelings, Joe, on that scene? Oh, it's... I just, yeah, I don't know. I really don't know. I think the thing that helps all of this stuff and and, and makes it passable to me is Christoph Waltz is very good at being bad. <laughs> and yeah. he's, he's very good at delivering these, these lines, you know, the me, all me, I was the author of all your pain. I like that stuff. I think... By this point, the writing was on the wall as to where this is going. Uh Oh! And and that was getting me worried, especially seeing us in the cinema for the first time. Watching it now, I didn't really care as much because I know what's going to happen. But I think, yeah, it's it's good. It is good. I wished, as we just said, there was more interaction between him and Bond before we move on, just to really get a little bit more into the stuff that Blofeld is... (laughs) Sorry, Franz is saying. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whoops. What are you um, on about? Don't know uh, what Franz is saying. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah, I just think there is there is so much to unpack there and it doesn't really do it justice what, what they are setting up and what they are retroactively doing is such a big thing and it just feels too short. I think we said that for a lot of things in this film and it's obviously a a recurring pattern is just not giving things space to breathe and 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 uh shine so what we got i i thought was good i just wanted more of it i think yeah there's there's so many individual elements of this because i've already talked about how i like the idea that specter was involved this whole time like i am up for that that sounds good to me specter is a very mysterious organization the fact that they would be behind this all you know, it helps fills in the gaps that I felt the quantum organization was quite lacking and how that was presented. This fills in those gaps and ties it all together. I like that stuff, but this isn't quite that. Like this is kind of going one step beyond that this France character actually was almost like deliberately hurting Bond every time he got involved with his schemes. And, you know, that's not, right like I, I can't really say that feels correct um because of just the way that stuff was presented in the other ones like i can buy it with vesper because all that stuff was tied to quantum did the silver stuff with m did france really plan that that feels like a big old stretch mm. like potentially he did enable silver to like knowing what would happen because silver was like i'm gonna kill m and Francis was like, okay. Great. That lines up. <laughs> Boom. Perfect. Love it. Go with <laughs> it. Go with that. Um, so he kind of knew that that would eventually kind of happen, and that's fine. But I, I don't know. I guess it's the wording of some of this stuff makes you think about some of the logic a little bit too much. 
they really wanted the lines, it was all me, the author of all your pain. And it's like, it's a cool line, but it does kind of maybe think about some of these elements a little bit too much than maybe you should. Because, you know, we've had some not great logic with Bond films before. Like, the original Spectre series was a bit of a mess. Like, they didn't know which films they were making. They were just mm-hmm. making up as they, they were out of along. order. Yeah, like, they didn't recognize each other, even though they should have. It, it was a mess even back then, you're right. Yeah, absolute mess. Like, we had, like, three, like so many different actors, and Blofeld was played by three different people. Like, it was always kind of a bit messy. So I can kind of excuse it a little bit for that. But, yeah, maybe they should have avoided some of those lines and like you say Christoph Waltz is such a great presence on screen that I don't think many people could have pulled this off and he does as good as a job as he he could do and so I'm kind of at the point where similar to what we've said before with the rest of this film I'm kind of at peace with it and I do kind of like the idea of a spectre tying this all together and then we get that good ending from what I remember anyway of no time to die which kind of helps justify this film a bit it's almost like this film has to be the one that's a bit weaker to give us that proper ending in the next one like this one kind of has to you know do the damage so it could be healed again in a new way like it's that Mm. sort of thing um so I don't really hate it it definitely at the time did not have this big impact it probably wanted to like when I first watched this film I wasn't like oh my god like it made me think and i was like okay that's something but yeah it didn't it it definitely doesn't have that impact it wants wants to have very clearly with the way this is kind of framed and this reveal um but I, yeah i found some sort of peace with it but yeah the logic of it does kind of fall apart a little bit and it is hard to 100% buy this it doesn't have that impact but i can i'm all right with it where i'm at i guess it, I guess there's two angles to it as well. This this reveal from Franz saying this, that, you know, it was all me. It was very purposefully going after Bond in all of these situations that we've seen so so far. And the, the two angles is, is that as a concept one that you buy, that, like, Bond has this very specific personal villain? And then the why to it, and we we do learn the why in the next scene, which we'll talk about then. But it's it's whether you yeah whether you buy that that all of this stuff is just Bond centric or whether Bond was just an agent who who saved the day. You know what I mean? Like I I remember at the time thinking like oh I, I don't like that they bond like this makes Bond at the center of it all and it's all very very related to exactly what he did. Um, I quite like the idea that he's just another spy in, in the MI6 machine sort of thing, and we're just seeing his side of it. Um, and, you know, that's why I liked when they mentioned about M- uh, 009 or 00 whatever, and, and that there is a bigger picture to MI6. And that's the stuff that I used to really like. And that kind of goes against this somewhat, because you're like, well, all of these, uh, all of these things, it was Bond to be punished specifically. But I think if you can get over that, that's great. And you can make some of the attachments that you mentioned about, and you can you can find some logic in there at the very least. That's great. When we get onto the why, that's a whole other pill to swallow. <laughs> yeah, like we haven't even got to that that extra block of all this, <laughs> which yeah. probably the fact that this has so many different like layers and blocks to it is probably what ultimately will put some people off. Like it forces a lot, like it has forced a lot of stuff on you with this film. And now it's dropping this big thing in and we're about to have another scene that drops a lot in there and it does kind of ask you to swallow more than it probably should. It 
you know, obviously this is a big reveal, but we're about to get another big reveal in the next scene. Um, so before we move on to that, I do just want to then talk about the swan stuff in this scene. Okay. I don't get what's going on here. Why does Bond not want Swan to see the footage so emotionally? Like, this is the most emotion we see in Bond in the entire film, where he's like, turn it off! Well, he says, mm. come on, that one time. but <laughs> Come on! Come on, turn it off! Come on! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but this, he's, he gets very emotional. Like, he does shout and react and we yep. go from cool collected bond to just like no turn it off and charges and gets knocked down i don't get where that comes from mm. yeah i i kind of don't either i guess the idea is he's just very protective of her now by this point but it does seem zero to a hundred in terms of that you're right because like yeah he even like goes to stop blowfeld and he gets whacked doesn't he so. who what Oh my god, did it again. What are you on about? Um, I don't know, sorry, ignore that. But yeah, like he does lose his temper, you're right. Um, I don't know. I don't know, because also partly that is... Isn't that why... Like, that's why Swan came, maybe not specifically to see her dad die, but also, like, to understand this situation. So why would he be so so keen to, like, yeah, do that? I don't know, is the answer. I the way I took it when I first saw this film is that Bond was directly involved in her father's suicide, so he was almost like trying to like hide that from her. That's how I thought they were going across. Because to me, that makes sense. Like someone he now cares about, someone who he doesn't want to see get hurt, but actually he was involved with her father's suicide, so it makes sense that they would be like, no, 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 don't, don't look at that. Like don't, don't do this uh, sort of thing. But he flat out tells her in the clinic, I, he died, I was there, he shot himself. Like, yeah. he, he explained all that. So there's really, like, no new information in this footage. The only reason you wouldn't want her to see it is because it's quite horrific to see your father kill himself. Like, that's just quite horrible. So I'm assuming that's what they were going for. But yeah, it gets a little bit mixed, a little bit confused. I do like the idea of playing this footage in the scene. And I like the kite in the hurricane line i think that's great and i think the fact that she flinches to the gunshot is a really nice detail it's like she's choosing to look away but she's still clearly being affected by it so the Mm. flinch is like kind of showing that engagement and the weight of what is being shown and her choice not to show it i think that stuff's great i just don't think it makes sense that bond would freak out in this way they they maybe needed to be a little bit smarter with that and trying to help justify a little bit more or sell it to the audience. It would have been interesting if it was something more Bond-focused that was played instead. Like, we'd, we'd seen the tape of Vesper's interrogation. What if we just started playing that instead? Yeah, that that would be way more interesting. Yeah. It would fit in way more. Um, yeah. But yeah, actually, that's not what we've got. I do no. like the idea. There must be edits out there, right, of, like, them, <laughs> like, the footage comes on and it's like, I don't know, Octopussy or something. <laughs> Don't no. Turn this off. I said turn it off. And then and then like when she flinches, it's it's Bond saying sit, sit. She's like oh Ugh. no. <laughs> All that terrible advert of Daniel Craig doing the dancing, the one that what Tiki oh, yeah. someone yes. edited. It's like no 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 no. <laughs> turn this off. <laughs> oh, I'd love to see that. Oh my god, that sounds great. <laughs> Yeah. I am the author of all your pain. 
Oh. Oh, what was the song that played during that? Was it something specific or was it just... Was it a licensed oh, track? I can't even remember. Oh, I need to watch was it, it again. Is it Belvedere Vodka as well? Yeah. Oh, wow, it even lines up with that. Great, yeah. We'll do a bonus episode on that, maybe. Yeah, okay. <laughs> that ad revisited. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think enough time has come. We've got to move on. <sighs> okay, right. So, <laughs> sorry, I just take a second for the scene coming up. Um, so, yeah, Bond got knocked out in that little computer room section. And uh, the next scene is a very intense close-up of Bond, uh, Bond's eyes, and uh, it's all very blown out, lots of whites blown out, it's kind of blurry. Um, you get a POV of him and, yeah, it's all blurry. It's like a ringing sound, kind of, you know, the getting knocked out ringing sound um, that you hear in films. And you sort of get a, a brief look at that he's in some sort of contraption. There's something around his head. And, yeah, in the POV, there's a cat. He sees a white cat. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of wake up that was on the ground. And while this is happening, uh, you're hearing Franz in the background. He's talking about something where you can't really make it out too well. Um, But, yeah, he's like, that's slowly becoming clearer and clearer, his voice. And you see shots of Bond. And, he's yeah, he's strapped into this sort of uh, chair uh, by his hands and his legs and his head. So eventually uh kind of all kind of comes to and you see that they're in a big white room. They're in a big white room. And Franz is at a little computer desk kind of far back next to Swan, who is sat in a chair directly facing Bond in this in this contraption he's in. And Franz is talking about the stuff that happened in, in Rome. He's talking about well, he's talking about how like soul is inside your head. And um, how the eye gouging scene in Rome uh, is kind of uh, there was no life in his head. He was alive, but there was no life in there. It's life and death and nobody inside his skull. Most odd, he says, uh, as he goes back to his computer screen. And yeah, he does something on it to trigger Bond's arms to be brought back down behind his back. And he starts to say that he's going to penetrate to where Bond is, to where Bond is, like his soul is inside of his head. And you see on his screen, there's a an x-ray of a skull and he starts to program in some controls and saying that he's going to play with his, his sight and his hearing and his balance. And as this is going on, uh, you get some shots of Bond who has like, yeah, he's come to now and he is uh, fiddling around with his his watch. He's still got his watch on that Q gave him. And because his arms are behind the chair that he's in, it's kind of hidden from sight. So he starts to do that. And I think as as Franz is waffling, he's like, oh, get on with it then. Uh, can't remember the next bit he says, like... Yeah, it's like nothing can be as painful as listening that. to you talk. <laughs> That's it, yeah. So Franz is like, okay then. And uh, he, he, he starts it. And basically this chair that Bond is in has his little arms coming out of the head section and... They extend around and some little drills eventually pop out or like unfold right at the ends. And one of them starts to drill in to the side of Bond's head uh, into his skull. And it's like has the sound of like a dentist drill, like a really high pitched drill because it's so tiny. And 
it enters Bond's head and he's screaming and and shaking, almost like he's having a seizure from it sort of thing, making these horrible screams and and uh and noises as this is happening. And yeah, you kind of see on 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 Franz's screen like the drills going in and pitting this certain section of his brain. So Swan is uh, I think it finishes and, and Swan asks, like, why are you doing this to him? And this is where we now learn a little bit more about what's going on here, about quite why he's What's going author. on here, Joe? Well, what's all this all? What's all this then? Let me happily explain. <laughs> <laughs> Merrily explain. Uh, so Franz starts talking and we learn that kind of following on from that guardianship letter that we saw Bond open way back in his flat, it was actually Franz's father who took over guardianship of Bond. And after his parents' death, he was the one that, you know, made him into a man. He taught him how to ski and to climb and to hunt. And uh, Franz's father asked him to treat Bond as his brother. <laughs> oh. His little brother. There's like a lot of pain saying that almost. Um, and his his father and Bond formed quite an attachment, which which caused Franz to be uh, unhappy. So much so that I think this is where Bond chimes in and says, uh, you killed him. And yeah, we learn that actually it was, it was Franz that killed his own father. So I don't know if that means that the, the whole avalanche stuff was just... Because they never really say how he died, but I guess the whole... He got out of that or he... Or it wasn't even that and it was just something completely different and he just forged that? No, I think it was that. Just he disappeared. Like, he made sure his father was dead and then he disappeared. Right. Like, so he then... just used that as an excuse to disappear and rebrand, right. if you will. Yeah, a little bit of a, re- a rebrand for A little bit of a revamp, yeah, a little bit of a reinvention. <laughs> and, new uh... year, new, new friends. <laughs> new year, new me. Um, new digs, no. Uh, so <laughs> Franz then says to Swan next to him, do you know what happens when a cuckoo hatches inside another bird's nest? And she does. She says uh, it, um, when it hatches, it, it forces the other eggs out. And that is basically Bond. Bond is the cuckoo who forced out Franz from his, his father's relationship. And Bond was responsible for the path that Franz then took. And uh, with that, it's thank you, cuckoo. So we cut, that's that's the whole cuckoo. If you were wondering from oh. the from the big board meeting earlier on, cuckoo, Bond is the cuckoo. And uh, as as he says that, Bond in the chair says, "Do you know any other bird calls Franz?" And that's kind of the first time that he says Franz to him. And uh, with that, Franz walks over. I think doesn't the cat? This is where the cat yeah, jumps the on. Cat, the cat jumps on Bond's lap. And he's like, hello, pussy. Uh, oh, yeah, because then he picks him up. Franz picks up the cat. And he walks up to Bond, gets quite close to him and says, Franz Oberhauser died 20 years ago alongside his father. Um, the man you're talking to is Ernst Stavro Blofeld. What? He was a... Be- it's uh, Blofeld. I thought he was... Uh, I thought he was Drax. <laughs> is this not Drax? <laughs> Yeah, Drax had a, a rebrand. Yeah, that yeah I wanted a reboot of Drax. Weird, they went in the Blofeld direction. They caught him from space and brought him back down. <laughs> <laughs> Cuckoo. Cuckoo. <laughs> no, it's Blofeld, uh, to which Bond says catchy name, and uh, it was from his mother's side, apparently. 
So um, yeah, this is this is Blofeld back, everyone. Um, with with that, he he goes back to his desk. Now I can finally say Blofeld. <laughs> oh yeah, that's the guy. Yeah, because in all my notes I wrote Blofeld too early, and that's why I was tripping myself up. Oh really? Um, oh, I was France. I actually did. I was good. I yeah, wrote France, and then I, I switched have. to Blofeld. Yeah, <laughs> I should have. So he goes back to his little computer desk and and um, says that with this next drill. He enters a certain part of Bond's brain. So I don't know what the name of the part is, but uh, if he does this, he will lose his ability to recognise people and uh, he'll die not knowing who Swan is. And he does say something here, which I had to put the the subtitles on because I didn't catch what he said, but he says, daughter of an assassin, the only person that could have understood him. Shame. Which I think, like, yeah, that's a good point, actually. Like that... I wish I didn't need to put the subtitles on to, to hear that, but like, yeah, like that is a good matchup for if someone is going to pull Bond away, then yeah, a daughter of an assassin, you would hope that there would be a Bond there. Um, That's interesting you said that because I, I did hear that fine, but the next line that Bond says later, I did turn on subtitles for the very first time in this entire rewatch. Actually, I had to go back because Bond like whispers something pretty much that is in English. Um, but mm. I was okay for that, for this bit. But yeah, I actually did turn it on like 10 seconds later. Right, okay. Uh, so yeah, with that, he, he starts up the, the computer um, and the drill. So the drill pops out. It comes on the other side of his head this time and uh, starts drilling into his head. So more of the same, more kind of convulsing. That was the word I was trying to think of earlier. And shaking and awfulness. But we see that Bond uh, has got his watch like loose in his hands now so um once that's all finished swan now decides the time to run over and uh go up to james in the chair and you have this moment of has it worked has does bond recognize her um she runs over and looks into his eyes and decides this is the the, the time to say that i love you (sighs) and nice yes yeah that's that's nice um, oh, but uh, do you think the bird noises thing? Swan? Is there something there? We got a cuckoo. We got a swan. There's a bird <laughs> the only, thing going on. The only noises that I know swans make is they hiss. Yeah, <laughs> horrible things. Swans. <laughs> they are awful. Um, but yeah, Blofeld says, "Do those blue eyes still recognise you?" And um, Bond whispers, "I'd recognise you anywhere." To Swan, so he's all right. As far as we can tell, he's <laughs> he is okay, folks. He's okay, folks. Yeah, he hasn't he hasn't lost his ability to recognize quite yet. And um, he says to her as, as she's like leaning in, whispers over about the watch. And we see that he triggers the alarm. It the dial turns red, and he kind of secretly hands it over to her as they kiss. And he says one minute to her. And after all this, Blofeld is getting another round of drill drilling going. You see the drills, they're starting to get into another position now where it looks like they're about to drill straight into his eyes. Like they're right pointing towards both his eyes, which is quite nasty. And this is what is this the bit you had to get the subtitles on for? Yeah. Yeah. So Bond does very kind of mumbly say, Tempus Fugit. And even Blofeld's like, What? I, what? I, I ah. can't I can't and it gets kinda of like I can't hear you, James. All right. It gets a bit frustrated. It's like, ugh, I don't know what you're saying, James. Um, but he says it again, and then finally he says, Bond says, doesn't time fly? Um, to which then Swan throws the watch across the floor, and the timer is up, so it explodes and knocks Blofeld off of the chair. 
backwards and blows up a lot of the room, actually. It's quite a big explosion for being a little watch. Hugh wasn't kidding. And also with that, I guess because it blew up the computer, like the straps of the chair that Bond's in all unlock um, all at once. And like he very quickly gets out the chair and he grabs Swan. And despite there being, <laughs> I don't know, I think there were more guards in there, but I guess they all got blow, blown up because they, they leave the, the room very quickly. Bond knocks out a guard and, and takes his gun. And they're now kind of like getting to outside this facility um, out into the, the centre of it, and there's obviously lots of guards coming up, to which Bond just very, very quickly and easy takes out a lot of them. They take cover, or yeah, him and Swan take cover in a little doorway section, and I think there's another moment where you're meant to kind of wonder if he still is actually recognising her. I don't know, they, they look at each other very intently, like it focuses on that for one, one split second, but um, yeah, he just gets back to shooting everyone, Um he shoots a gas tank, which causes a big explosion in this place, and more guards come through the main gate, uh, which Bond takes care of from very far away. Like, he almost snipes them pretty much. I don't know what the gun is he's got, but yeah, because uh, there's a couple quite far back near a helicopter, and he takes them out. Perfect precision aim, as if he hadn't even just been drilled in the head. And uh, with that, they get up to the, the helicopter at the back, and before they get into it, they turn and face this base and like the cameras behind them at this point, we're seeing the backs of them and you're seeing the base in the background and from that explosion and the, the gas tank explosion, it's all kind of a chain reaction and the whole thing just goes up. This gigantic explosion, humongous explosion, biggest explosion apparently in, in film uh, by like Guinness World Record standards goes off. And it kind of like comes forwards towards the camera as it all explodes. Although you do see some cars leave just in time, which uh, kind of helps explain later on. So yeah, there are still people getting out of the place. But yeah, Bond uh, Bond says, I think it's just before that he said, let's go home. Then it all exploded. After that, he says it's not over yet. And they get into the chopper and they fly off overlooking the, the destroyed base. Um and oh, a pretty basic them. scene. Uh, I don't think yeah. much to say on that. Um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on then. Yeah. Which? What do we want to do first? The Blofeld stuff, the torture stuff, or the the stuff afterwards? I guess maybe the Blofeld stuff first. Let's get the Blofeld stuff. Yeah. So where I'm currently at is that by rewatching these films, I don't care that much about Blofeld anymore. Like I know he's that like iconic villain. But from watching these films, I don't know. I, I don't think he's even top five, considering how strong the villains are. So, yes, he's a key part of it, but he's just the recurring villain that kept coming back. So, for me, reinventing the backstory, like, if, if you're using the films anyway, you were not starting with that strong material, which I might get off flack from saying that, but that's just what I saw. Like, the one from You Only Live Twice was just a dweeb who just is like, ha ha, Bond, and then gets a star to the hand. Uh, the Honor Magic Secret one was okay, but was just quite forgettable. And then the Diamonds Are Forever one was just really over the top and weird. So it's like, it's yeah. not like, oh no, they ruined this classic amazing villain. Because it's like, I don't even think he's top five. Um, I would be more upset if like Scaramanga came back and was like, I'm your brother. So what? <laughs> Wait a minute. Oh God, yeah. Um, but if you're going to send it back. So for me, like a refresh of the character, a refresh of some of those elements... I'm up for that. That's fine. Um, and I also quite like the cuckoo storyline. 
or backstory. The problem is that he says cuckoo to James in this scene. And that's where they lose me. I kind of like it as this weird, creepy, unknown thing in the Spectre meeting. And then I like that they explain why he did that here. But then he just says, so thank you, cuckoo. I'm like, oh, you didn't. Oh, just let us let that sit. You don't need to have him say cuckoo at James What is in the chair. And I kind of wish they took one step back from that. So I'm not going to say I love all this stuff, but I think at least it made sense to me that they would go back and reinvent it if they are trying to like, you know, if this is a Bond reboot and they want to bring back this character. Yeah, I guess I guess so. That I mean, that is the thing is like it it it's not it's not as if they have ruined the sacred thing. I would agree with you with that. Blofeld is has always been a hot mess. Someone might say um, a sexy hot mess. Yeah, sexy hot mess. Oh yeah, especially yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> I'll, I'll just stop before I even start. Uh, I think for me, it does then link back to. What I was saying before, the two sides of this about that is it and then the why. I think I just personally don't like Bond being the centre of it like this, um, the, the centre of the world in, in this circumstance where he is directly related to this gigantic evil organisation. I liked him just being a agent that deals with them and and is a, 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 an adversary because he always beats them and he's just good at what he does and is, there's not this personal connection um but even even then even not liking that that new angle they've gone with this i think i have just got to being almost like apathetic to it like i don't like it but equally now i just don't hate it because i just don't really care um which maybe is even worse than like actually hating it but i don't know I just think like that is now what I come to expect with Spectre and what they've done with the Blofeld character for Craig's Bond. And yeah, like it's a it's a reinvention. It's not one that I particularly like, but I uh, they did at least try something different, I suppose. And I think having Christoph Waltz be the new Blofeld was was quite cool. He has that sort of friendly, creepy um side to him that that works. Is not just pure like, because you know the, there's a, a typical with a Bond villain where they're really friendly and then that's their thing is a like too friendly sort of thing, and he has elements of that, but I think he does still have a good amount of menace to him. So yeah, basically, I don't like what they've did, done with like making them brothers, but I don't care. <laughs> oh, that, okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm a, Sadly, I, I would definitely agree with what you're saying in terms of, you know, the original set of films. Initially, they don't care about Bond in the slightest. Like, they just don't care. But Bond keeps getting in the way. And then by the time you get to You Only Live Twice is when he's like, well, we have a history because you keep messing with my stuff. Come on. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, initially, they just don't care about Bond at all. It's just Bond is the one that eventually stops them. There's not like a seam against him. So I agree that stuff is stronger. I do think they laid enough of the groundwork with the Craig era that everything kind of had to have this continuity and connection to it. Like this is just kind of what this version is. And personally, at least for me, I think they did enough where you it kind of fits in that there would be a connection. 
like with everything that's happened in the last three films, like what we got with Skyfall looking at the childhood, that all this stuff that will come together kind of needs to have some sort of connection because of how this character has been reinvented for this set of films. So I'm actually generally kind of okay with that side of things. Um, the way it sits in my head, and I think I've seen different things to this, is like I guess there's a the question of, did France become Blofeld and create Spectre just to spy Bond? I don't think so. I don't. I think that's something that he had on his mind, but actually him doing Spectre and running the world is not actually about Bond entirely. Like, he didn't build this whole organisation just to mess with Bond. And I get that from the line when he says, oh yeah, when you, when you mess with me, I mess with you. Which mm. to me kind of implies the opposite of like, well, if Bond didn't stop those people, he actually would have just probably left Bond alone for the time being. Like, all that stuff wouldn't have happened if Bond didn't stop those people. So it is kind of him being a good agent and stopping members of Spectre inadvertently, and then Spectre or France like, or Blofeld reacting to that and punishing him for that. So that line, to me, kind of helps separate it enough that I think it's it's all right by me. Again, I wasn't really ecstatic about it at the time, but I can kind of accept it. And I think it does make sense that they would go a little bit further with this stuff for Craig's Bond because that's just how they've done it. This is about Bond's character. This is about his history. This is about how he reacts to stuff. So it kind of makes sense that they would kind of add in a little bit more backstory to that and tie Blofeld to Bond to make it, you know, make you kind of feel it a little bit more. I'm not going to say they're 100% successful with that, but to me, it may, the approach makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's the thing I think now is... is... Before, when I when I was more angry about this, uh, I just couldn't. I kind of refused to, <laughs> like, kind of accept it or or understand why it could work. Whereas I think now, I do understand more about. I mean, yeah, the points you're saying all very valid points. Like that is the Craig the Craig era of Bond is is by far the most uh, continuity and 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 character depth that that is in them. Um, so they're going to do that then this is the place to do it and i think that's that's fine that's fine it's not my cup of tea um but i will go along for the ride i suppose hmm. and i mean it does help that i think they've set up blowfell quite well in this film individually it probably is more about the tying to the other films and putting that all together in the backstory which is probably where it gets a bit fuzzy but if you were just to take the stuff in this film only i think they've done a pretty good job you know, I think that has worked quite well and Christopher Christoph Waltz brings something to the role and the stuff in the shadows and his creepiness, all that stuff is very effective. So to me, that does kind of help sell this. But also to me, it also makes sense with the way this scene plays out that Blofeld was always a bit of a dweeb and him being like the the brother who was a dweeb to Bond, that also kind of make, makes sense to me for what this relationship was and reinventing that, just like the dorky sibling. <laughs> especially because Christoph Waltz is like short and (laughs) like very he is not an imposing figure when you kind of like zoom out and just see him in his little coat because he's quite a short man like he still has a presence but when you're comparing to Bond it did give me those vibes of you only live twice where you have short massive giant tree of a man Sean Connery standing next to little old Blofeld with the scar like I think they maybe they were trying to bring in those more dweeby elements as well and maybe that's a little bit of a mishmash, but I think the backstory ties into Blofeld being a bit of a dweeb as well and, and reinforces that. He was just a jealous, rubbish sibling. 
He's a little dweeby blowfeld with daddy issues. Yes. More daddy. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. So again, I, I'm not necessarily advocating for like, oh, this stuff is great and really works. It definitely, similar to the reveal about it was all me, this Blofeld one is not like, oh my God, I can't, this is crazy. Like they clearly treat it with a lot of weight and you are supposed to be a little bit shocked by it, but I don't think it's that. But I still think there's there's enough there for me that I can enjoy it. Again, I don't think it's great, but I wouldn't say it's particularly bad either. I can, I, I'm happy enough with it at this stage. Now, what if they had gone back to Casino Royale, Contrasolis, uh, Skyfall and CGI'd in there we go. Oberhaus in just in the background. Yeah. And he was always there. It's like, did you watching. ever see, was it Shrek 4 where you had the scene of the villain and he was just like, I was always there. And then they just like, because it's CGI, they just edit him in blatantly. <laughs> and it just keeps showing shot of him turning around all dramatically in all the like <laughs> scenes from all the other Shrek films. That sounds great. Yeah, do that. Yeah. I think it's Shrek 4 that does it. Rumple scum. Rumple, whatever that guy is. Rumple stumps. God, these names. <laughs> <laughs> that guy. That guy, yeah. Yeah. So that's that. But there's something else happens in this scene, and that's the old drill stuff. Mm. So where are you at with this drilling? I really dislike the drilling. Okay. I really dislike the drilling. I, I get that it's, again, kind of meant to be another throwback, I suppose, to like, you know... The, the Goldfinger laser scene, it's it's one of those things and sort of a, a twist on it. I think the reason why I don't like it is really, it's quite like simple, is that it just makes me feel very like, like <laughs> which I, I need to kind of preface this by saying like, it's, if, if, if you're fine with this sort of stuff, you might really like it. I just, it just made me feel very uncomfortable and... I, I just think it seemed a little bit too, like, oh, wait, let's do something really, like, creepy for the sake of it, um, just to kind of add more more threat to this this uh, this Blofeld, this new Blofeld. And, I mean, that's even, that's not even mentioning the whole aspect of, like, oh, this was meant to do this, like, uh, the, the recognition stuff, and it doesn't for some reason. Um and then also the cherry on the cake for it is I think it just visually looks bad. Like, I don't know what happened there with the filming or how much of it was like green screened or, or what. I don't know. But Craig just looks off sitting in that chair strapped to it. The lighting's all off and it just looks bad. So I think just all those things together, I really, I just don't like it. Hmm. Yeah, like, yeah, I agree. Like having a torture scene, well, not a torture scene, but like, Bond being strapped down and the villain being like, ah, I've got you now, Mr. Bond. Well, that all makes sense. Reveal him as Blofeld. There's a cat, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and yeah, then the just have him back. like, I'm going to mess with you. Uh, but yeah, normally we don't get him like so physically, like he doesn't physically get hurt normally. I guess there's the Casino Royale torture scene, but that's kind of portrayed very differently, very gritty and grungy with a bit of jokes in there for levity. But yeah, that's in like a, a abandoned ship and it's one-on-one -on -one and Bond is naked. But like, so it very clearly was not supposed to be anything like the older ones. This one probably is, like, much more trying to be like the older ones, especially with it being Blofeld. But yeah, a drill goes into his head, and you see blood dripping from the needle, from the drill. And it's kind of like, oh, that's probably a bit too far. They, like, I get they wanted to update this and make it more modern, but they probably needed to just find something else, something a bit more interesting. Um, I... 
the logic of it is obviously a big question. And I think leaving the cinema when I first saw it, that was the big one in my head where I was like, what was that? Like, yeah. what was that? What happened? He drilled his head and he's like, he, you won't recognize or be able to see. And then he's fine. And I think it might be another case of cinema to the ring. Like, I'm assuming there is an explanation. The film just has no interest of explaining it to you. And from what I've Googled and looked up, you know, you found about the Sam Mendes thing explaining about the ring. Mm. I can buy that. That's fine. This one, I don't think ever did get discussed unless you found something about it. I never Googled it for some reason. I should have. I, I, I really couldn't like find anything like that. I couldn't find any like director or writer kind of saying, hey, this is what that was about. So to have it make sense. But I'm assuming there's an explanation. But I, I, I do want to say I don't think it's laziness. I definitely have read people saying it's lazy writing. I don't think it's that. I think it's more similar to The Ring, just poor explanation in the film. Uh, rather than laziness because i i don't think it's lazy writing i reckon there is a very strong reason behind it i think someone like sam mendes would very much think this through and have this like have this like idea of what this is all about and tie it all together it's just for whatever reason it doesn't exist in the movie and for a bond film you should not be thinking what the hell was that about why doesn't that make any sense like this is just not the style of film where you should need to question this sort of logic it was just a mistake to keep it very vague. Because it's like, well, you, sh- you shouldn't have those thoughts. You shouldn't be thinking no. that. You no. should know it, what happened. It's getting in the way of the whole Blofeld stuff. Like, I should be thinking about that. I shouldn't be questioning why he can still recognise her. Yeah, like, that shouldn't even be a question. It's not food for thought. It's James Bond. Like, come on. Like, none of the Craig films have done anything like this. Saying that, here's where I'm at in terms of what happened. Okay, I'd like I to hear think this, yeah. Broadly speaking, the general idea of this film and what it kind of reinforces, especially with how like brutal Bond has been and how efficient he has been, is that all the torture and pain over the years from Blofeld has made Bond stronger in terms of that Blofeld's kind of this direct attack on Bond has made him a much better agent across the years. Like his pain makes him strong. So he's he's the best agent because of all these horrible things that have happened to him. So I think that's why the drill doesn't do anything to him because Bond as he currently is, this like super agent, is actually made stronger by all these horrible things. And that's why as soon as he leaves the helicopter, he is able to just make these like amazing shots and just get away. Not the helicopter, sorry. <laughs> uh, the building, he's able to just make these shots and get away. And it also kind of explains what happens with Bond and Blofeld at the end of the film with the helicopter, that actually torturing Bond made him a super agent. Um, And that kind of ties into the very ending of the film with Swan on the bridge as well, I feel. So that's where I'm at. To me, that kind of makes sense. But I do kind of circle back to, I shouldn't even be having these thoughts for a Bond film. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I think that that is kind of like the most logical thing is just Bond is very very strong uh mentally and physically like he can take that um but he's you know. strong because of blowfelt like i think this is the most like visual and direct representation of what is supposed to have happened over the last three films that blowfelt puts a drill in his head and it actually makes bond like a super agent like maybe it's a bit silly 
But I think this is meant to be visually representing that process. And then for the rest of the film, Bond is just a badass because he has been made stronger by this stuff. Like it's, it's, I think it's trying to sell that idea. What, that Blofeld, like figuratively, has been in his head as well? Well, no, not, not even in his head. Just like indirectly created a super agent. What, with the drilling? Yeah, what, everything. Oh, I see. So by killing like... Vespa, it made him a better agent. By killing M, it made him a better agent. And now we're just seeing, rather than a figurative, emotional attack, we are now seeing a more direct attack that's supposed to take things away from him. But again, it makes him stronger because all of this stuff is making him super agent. That doesn't mean he's emotionally well, and it ties into the choice he eventually makes towards the end, towards being, you know, to, that choice that he makes will we'll get there. But it's just like having a direct, literal representation of what has happened up to this point and if that didn't happen bond would not be this the number one agent in the world really hmm okay yeah interesting interesting i like that that's that's just where i'm at but again i don't think you that shouldn't be the case for a bond film (laughs) even if that is correct it shouldn't be the case like we shouldn't have to be thinking about that stuff but that's the best i can come up with because it ties into the final thing with blofeld and it ties down to the bridge stuff and without it a lot of that stuff is a bit like, what? I mean, it still is a bit like, what? But, you know, you can. I guess you can try and fit it in a way. Um, but on your first viewing, you got no chance. You're going to leave that cinema like me and you didn't be like, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that's, that's what your experience is going to be. And that just should not be the case for a film like this. Yeah, that's it. So uh, what, do you, what do you think of the explosion? It's, it's a bit underwhelming. Like, it's I think, really underwhelming. <laughs> yeah, like I think I guess there's two reasons it's underwhelming. The first of all is that this is the biggest explosion in cinema history, and it's mostly like puffy and <laughs> it's not this big roaring blaze. It, it doesn't really sell that scope or anything. Like I don't know if it's just how it framed, but it doesn't look that big. It looks pretty big, but it doesn't look that big. And the second thing is that I don't think this base is interesting enough to watch it explode to be satisfying. It's just a load of buildings in a desert, like, mm. and we just didn't spend enough time here. It's not like a usual Bond thing where it's got that visual appeal. It's very much tied to the villain. It's kind of the payoff to everything that's happened, and now it's the final confrontation. Like it, it is meant to be that, but it's just not a very interesting place to blow up. So it ends up just being a big explosion in a desert that I've seen better. I feel. Yeah, to me, this explosion is like. Uh microcosm of the film overall because i don't know what the budget for this film was it was probably like the biggest yet i'd have to imagine Um, it was definitely very high very very high and and it kind of links into this idea of this is the biggest explosion in film history and really wanted to amp it up and be really like sell it right and and then you see it and as you say it's not actually that impressive visually um and there's no weight behind it there's it's just all rings a little bit hollow and that's just like the film overall is like you can tell like so much money has been pumped into it and it's trying to be the biggest and the best and and yet underneath it all it's still quite empty and i just and they just filmed it in the most i mean i get why they filmed it like that because it's like we're gonna get one shot we're gonna show it in its entirety but I don't know. I don't think that it has to be a very specific type of explosion. I think to to have that 
punch to it where you can just leave it on a static shot. There's a reason why with film explosions it is usually like, you know, edit, cut, cut, boom, all this sort of stuff. Whereas it's just all kind of, it was like a bit of a damp squib by the end. Um, yeah, I just, I saw that I thought, yeah, that, that is Spectre. Like that, that explosion is everything <laughs> I don't like about Spectre really. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't help the way it's framed as well. Like it's framed in a way where you're seeing it from Bond's and Swan's perspective, but that's not normally how explosions are in films. As you say, like it's, it's supposed to be focusing on, look at this crazy explosion. Isn't this like crazy and fun and exciting? But this is just them standing completely unfazed, mm. looking away from the camera at the explosion. And it's like, I sure, take that shot. But where are all the other... Like, I want to see all the other camera shots. Like, that should be the beginning. And then it should cut a, a, around, showing all the different explosions and the damage what yeah. this explosion is doing. But yeah, yeah, because it's more focused on that one shot, which isn't... I don't think is framed particularly well to show off a big explosion. It's just a bit like, oh... All right, I mean it's fine, but I the camera positioning there I think was was a poor choice. But they had one shot, so so they got what they got. Yep. So we cut to London again. Like we we spent a lot of time in London, um, and it's London at night, and we see M and Tanner and Q. Then they go into this kind of small flat. They're opening a door, and M explains that it's a safe house. So they go upstairs to the roof of the safe house and they enter a room. I think someone's saying like, do we know if it's secure or safe? And M opens the door into the room and Bond is waiting for them. And he's like, yeah, it's safe. And we also see that Swan is in the room. And M like quite nicely greets himself. He's like, hello, pleased to meet you. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's charming. Always a gentleman. Yeah. Yeah. Just very nice. Like, hello. <laughs> and Bond says that he killed Blofeld, the head of Spectre. But C works for him and is about to take control of this big security network system. And M explains that the system goes online at midnight. Dun, 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 midnight. And if this happens, Spectre will have control of everything. So they've got to stop it. So Bond says that he's going to go and find C while Q hacks into the system to block it. And M says, it's good to have you back. And Bond just says, sir... And they all leave the building and Swan stops Bond before they go and says, I can't. But Bond says, I'll, I'll come back for you after this is done because Swan was supposed to wait. Um, but she says, I, I can't go back to this life and I can't ask you to change. So this is goodbye and take care. And she says, you're a good man, James, and walks away. But they all then jump into the car to drive off. So Awful. Yeah, so I just wanted to chime in there. Like they they clearly needed to separate him and Swan, so they just they'd suddenly they just make her go. Oh, this isn't for me. Bye. Oh, this is like the stuff I was mentioning about earlier, where they just rush some certain elements, and this just doesn't just doesn't work. Like why why is she doing this now? Why? Yeah, I I don't disagree with that. I do like the idea of her seeing her old life and not wanting to go back to it and being unsure. But as you say, it's all a little bit rushed. Um. Like, they could have... Yeah, it's, it's just a little bit rushed. Like, we just went from the scene where she was like, I love you, James. Yeah. And, like, all those blue eyes. And then straight away, it's like, I can't go back. It's like, I, yeah, she's had a... It's been a stressful few days, sure. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, again, we haven't quite spent enough time. She isn't in a lot of this film, to be fair, but we haven't quite had that dialogue to 
and interactions to reinforce some of these ideas. So I actually don't hate this because I do kind of understand why she would say I'm changing my mind. But as you say, the reason for her doing it is so this ending bit can play out in a very specific way. It's not mm. actually uh, the logical journey of the character. Yeah. And it's nice to see M and Bond back on speaking terms. We should have had this the whole time. So yep. it's kind of a shame. This would have felt a, a whole lot better if we knew M was helping out Bond and Bond and M was on the same page. I know I keep going on about it, but they really should have had them on the same page initially, even if it's a bit of a wink, nog nudge nudge sort of thing like mm. they should have done that and then it would have been very nice when they met up again so which is probably what they were still going for but yeah it doesn't quite work so we then cut to them driving through the streets of london and we see swan walking down a road and she stops and looks back but that's kind of all we see of that and q is on his laptop so there it's not well explained i don't think but they're in two separate cars There's like a car with M and Bond in it. And I think they're the ones who are going to see C. And then there's another car which has Tanner, Money, Penny and Q in the back. Um, So Q is hacking while Bond and M is off to go and see C. Um, So yeah, Q is starting to hack. And they then go into like this underpass, this like quite big tunnel on a road. And they kind of go along a T section or T junction. And a car comes out of nowhere and smashes into the car that Emma Bond is in and Emma Bond are knocked out and these men who were in the car that smashed into them it's like a big truck there's like this big kind of like police truck where you would uh you know put prisoners in the back so they grab Bond they put a bag over his head and they put him in and they put him in the back and we see that M was in the front as well but they go and take Bond away and they come back and M is gone M has disappeared so Tanner's car then comes round into the tunnel and he sees what's going on and they're just like, get it, go, go, go. And Tanner starts reversing and they start like shooting at the car, the goons, and they Q is almost shot and they get away. But we see that M is hiding nearby and just walks off. So Bond is being put into cuffs and we then see that M is able to meet up with Tanner and get into the car. So now they're all together. So Bond is taken out of the truck somewhere and they point a gun at Bond's head while he's still got the bag on his head and they shout move. So Bond just kind of grabs them and kills them both and then just like snaps the... Because they had like a hog tie. I think they're called hog ties. Is that what they call the little plastic things? I have no clue. They've got a name. I'll call them hog ties, but they're little plastic things. But he just snaps them off his hands. Quite efficiently kills them and snaps them. And he enters the building, and we see it's the destroyed MI6 building. And Bond walks in, and it's all quite haunted, I suppose. And you see this giant hole going all the way through the building from when it was blew up in the last film. And Bond goes over to the the list of agents on the wall, like the memorial wall, to show who's died. And somebody has spray-played in red, James Bond, and points an arrow, and... This was very disappointing because did you pause at this? Yes, I was about to ask you the same question. Yeah. Because there was a certain name missing, which I wasn't happy about. Yeah, I did exactly. Because it's so clear. I was like, surely they would have done that as just a little little nod. That seems like an easy one. Yeah, it really does. But no, no. At least I couldn't see it. No. So what we're referring to is in Skyfall, M says to Silver that your old name, Rodriguez, something like that, is on the wall of the building that you try to destroy. 
Now, she does say, I'll have it stricken off. So maybe True. that explains it. But I think it would have been nicer to actually just still have uh, Silver's old name on that wall. Uh, I feel like it's it makes sense that, considering that Silver renamed himself, you know, Silver what Blofeld did, the classic villain thing, that you can say that person was dead and goes on the wall as a former agent, and this is somebody else. You know, that, that would have been enough for me. I think they should have put the name on. Yeah. Yeah, an easy win, as you say, it could have been. Yeah, so Bond follows the arrow and he follows another one as he goes through and we get some aerial shots of London. And this is when the guitar music from the uh, the ice lake uh, starts playing. Yeah, it really got on my nerves here. It plays a lot. Like It's it, like the yeah. main theme of this, like what we're in the finale now. Like this is straight up the finale. And the main theme of the finale is... The, that track from Scotland playing and it just doesn't match at all. <laughs> like, I guess like stylistically it matches fine, but when it's so blatantly from Skyfall, it's like, well, this isn't... What? Why are you playing this? This isn't yeah. correct at all. Yeah. So this is, to be honest, the music really sucks me out of a lot of this stuff because it's so obviously mismatched, which I've already said before. It's like, oh God. like I, I think the music's the worst part of this film <laughs> because of just how repeatedly it misses the mark and how mm. distractingly awful the it is it's like oh god so i mean that's that's saying something as well to have the music be one of the worst things i know i just think yeah. some of it is like you see the potential of some of this stuff and i know how much better it would have been if they actually bothered to write a proper soundtrack like a proper one and if he went all in with this soundtrack like he did with Skyfall, Thomas Newman, we could have had something amazing here. And if you had the Bond theme, if you had a better matching, if you didn't use the Skyfall music, like it could have been awesome. It just wasn't. Yeah. And then just a lot of this scenes just fall flat and it's just distracting and just makes it feel a bit more mediocre and forgettable because the music's just not there or it's just not properly used. It's That's why I think it's the worst because I think it sucks out the potential. You can argue about the Blofeld stuff all you want maybe you kind of hate it because of that fine uh, if you don't like that stuff that's kind of up to you but to me you know that is part of this film and that's kind of what this film is all about and it's like the music is the thing that swings it towards being worse where like we could have just had something better like it was just right there and they just missed it so it kind of makes you realize like what you what you miss when it's gone because yeah. we've talked about not liking the soundtracks of previous Bond films or at least some of the songs from them um, and the tracks from them. But even then, like that's on just a different level of it being like taking away from the film. Like the only, <laughs> it's like, uh, it's like the, the stunt from the man with the golden gun where you're, you're sticking on the, the slide whistle on, on the, yes. on the cutter. It's like, that <laughs> yes. is something that, that, 100% takes away from the scene and that's kind of so much of of Spectre so yeah I kind of I, I maybe I take back some of the things I said about soundtracks being bad before because like this is the number one example of it just not working yeah I will definitely take a functional forgettable soundtrack over this yeah any day the only one that I think might be worse is for your eyes only but that you know how I feel about that because <laughs> mm -hmm. I had the same thing but this one just feels like fundamentally like this wasn't i don't i just don't get it it doesn't feel like a stylized choice i don't understand it like for your eyes only at least was like a new composer with a very unique distinct style i don't like that style but i can at least respect 
him wanting to do something different and trying to fit it in with Bond. He at least had the Bond theme in that bloody film. This one just is just like the best way I can describe it is like it was AI generated. Like they just fed the Skyfall soundtrack into it and just was like, no Bond theme, <laughs> reuse music. <laughs> and then it's just like beep, boop, beep. And then it just like spat this out. And it did like there was no human connection in terms of what these scenes should be, what they should feel like. No regard in terms of is this music appropriate? Should we reuse this Skyfall theme? Would it make sense to use this one? It's just like, yeah, it feels like AI generated Thomas Newman. It some of the things we've mentioned in in like the plot holes of this film when we're saying like is it laziness is it just a lack of like time and cutting things this is something that just legitimately feels lazy like they just well I don't I don't know what the production schedule I mean it how it was like three years after Skyfall right but still yeah. <laughs> it just feels like oh Skyfall sounded good this will do like that legit just sounded like it was some lazy decisions there. Um, Maybe they just got a bit too complacent with it, I think. Yeah, like John Barry, I think, for The Man with the Golden Gun, did a better job in three weeks Yeah, than this. I know, right? Yeah, so I won't go on about it, but yeah, terrible. It's it's my least favourite part of the film, which is why I talk about it a lot. Um, so so we go to, yeah, aerial shots of London, and we see, see, God, <laughs> I'm entering that big building, the big cyber fantasy one, and... He's going up the stairs and he's on the phone and he's all mad. He's like, go back and find them now. We need them both. Truly awful acting there. Really did not set it in the slightest. Don't have him mm. shout and get all mad. <laughs> Just can't do it, bless him. He can't oh. do the other stuff either, but don't make him <laughs> shout. Like, come on. Don't make him do anything. <laughs> no, just... No, just don't... No. <laughs> so, yeah, so he kind of goes out to his office and tries to log into his laptop but he can't and we hear somebody say not a good feeling being watched is it and we see M sitting down in the office in the shadows a little bit and we see all the pcs around like in other parts of the building are shutting down and we see q like quietly working on his laptop nearby and c says well you're you're both out of a job and M says, I'm, we're going to shut down this system and then bring you in. And C says, on what grounds? Of which M responds, poor taste in friends. Which, uh, well, well, I mean, we said it all, haven't we, really? But it's so funny that now that C has to actually be a proper villain and have the payoff. Oh my God, does he collapse entirely? Like, yeah. I don't really hate Andrew Scott as an actor, but oh my God, he's so mismatched. It's insane. Yeah. It's a it's a big miss, uh, <laughs> big old a big hit, hit and a miss there. I can see what the as you mentioned, like the whole Sherlock stuff. I can see why they would have done that, but it just was not the right character or not the right actor for that character at all. Yeah, we, we've said it all before, so we won't go over too much. But yeah, this really highlights just how terrible this all was. Um, so we then go to Bond uh, going down some stairs with a gun. And he reaches the bottom and he finds like a flooded area. So this is like underneath the MI6 building. I like to think it's where the world is not enough took yeah, place the with that boat. Yeah, the yeah. Q-boat. Yeah, I, I thought so too. I mean, the Q-boat was rocketed out of the building onto the Thames. But again, they obviously had some sort of like harbour dock area underneath. So to me, I was like, oh, well, it's not enough. Nice. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, the reason here is to establish, oh, look, a speedboat to get away with. Hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll make note of that. 
Uh, Verbon carries on through the building and he sees lots of signs for high explosives because this building is about to be exploded, is what Tanner explained, that this is all rigged to blow. So we then go back to C, just, oh, and he's just being like, take a look at the world, chaos, giving some mad eye action, trying to be all creepy, but like deranged, like he's going for more like a deranged thing now, but he's all like, all oh, paper pushes that are too spineless to do what needs to be done, and he says, I made a deal to do what needs to be done. And he's all like, but you want to throw it all away for the sake of democracy? Whatever the hell that is, how predictably moronic. And then he's like, well, isn't that what M stands for? Moron? Oh, God, nah, that, was nah, pa- nah, nah. that was painful to have to say again. <laughs> Sorry. One of the worst speeches, the, the most generic nothing speech, poorly delivered. Oh, my God. Mm. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but... C then takes a gun from his desk and shoots at M. But it clicks. It's empty. And M just says, now we know what C stands for. And M reveals some bullets in his hand and then says, careless. Of which that line, when I saw it originally, that was the line that got the biggest laugh out of all of them. Big laugh. They knew exactly what they were doing. There's so many naughty words beginning with C that you could just replace it for what you like. Nobody was all like, careless. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody was like, he is quite careless, isn't he? Oh yeah. <laughs> but yeah, this was the biggest laugh, which it's fine, I guess. Yeah. Um, so we see Bond go through like a, a shooting gallery. I don't know if I don't think it's the one from Skyfall, but obviously it takes place in the MI6 building. Well, it can't be the one from Skyfall, is it? Because it's in the building itself, it's in and that's digs. not where he did it. Yeah. He yeah. they were the new digs, of course. Uh, but he sees like. Yeah, you got those classic targets where it's like the paper with like the different, like it's a person, but it's got like the different scores and stuff. But somebody has put a lot of faces. Well, I think he puts, initially it's just Bond on them. But I think it's a screenshot from Quantum of Solace. It looks I like th- those yeah. shots. It looks like the one that is uh, that um, Judy Dench has on her computer screen when she's yeah. doing the obituary, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's one of the, it doesn't, it definitely looks like from it's that film. I was thinking maybe it was some of the screenshots that you got off Bond when he was like the hotel scene when he's in the suit, but all like beaten up and stuff. It gave me that sort of vibes. He definitely looks young. Yeah, it's definitely like Casino Royale, Quantum, Daniel Craig, for sure. Yeah. So he carries on and he sees a load of wires above his head. So he does see like a lot of stuff is going on. Oh, well, I don't think he sees them, but you, you're meant to see it. There's a lot of, like, wires everywhere and strings. So Q is still working on his laptop. It says five minutes to go. He's like, oh, no. But we go back to Bond. And this time he sees in these, like, prison cells, he sees pictures of the villains. Well, not necessarily just the villains, but people he that were important. So Le Chief, Silver, Vesper, Mr. White... And then the very last one is well, Green, of course. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> let's let's check in with Green. Watch uh, Eddie Green's in the film. Not seeing one. Sadly, not. No, is no. that one over? <laughs> nope. No, that's not. That looks a little bit. Oh no! Wait, that's did Judy I see? Lynch. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Maybe. I like to think that Greens have just fallen down and just like <laughs> just on the floor. No one There's cares. There's just like a pigeon just messing with it, <laughs> just tapping it. <laughs> <laughs> but no so the last one in the prison cell was m 
And Bond then goes around the corner and he sees Blofeld and he just straight away fires. He fires like three shots, like bang, bang, bang. But there's some bulletproof glass in the way that kind of blocks the bullet. And this feels like... It's one of those where it's like, I dare not call it an Easter egg because it feels quite obvious, especially because it was part of the marketing of this film. But it forms... The bullets form the octopus of Spectre in this Mm. bit. Um, Right. Do they? Yeah. Oh my god, I didn't even see that. Oh no! Oh, well, now I feel bad because I like, I don't think <laughs> it's an Easter egg because to me it's very obvious because they included it in the marketing and then they just have it so set up here that yeah, it's the same three bullets that and the the bullet marks make the octopus. Right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I guess it must have been in the film at some point. I just always thought, oh, that's like a a marketing thing. But okay, that that's cool. <laughs> I just never really got that. Wow, okay, fair enough. All right, so there we go. A little Easter egg for everyone, I suppose. I like that, yeah. Yeah. And Bond says, you're a hard man to kill, Blofeld. Which that always felt off to me. That Bond is straight away like, well, yes, he wants to be called Blofeld. I will respect his wishes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. I kind of like the idea that James, especially because they're meant to be somewhat brothers, would just call him his original name. I don't think he would call him Blofeld. I don't totally. think that makes sense. Yeah, it has much more impact if he just kept calling him Franz. Yeah. Yeah, and he's just like, it's Blofeld. <laughs> but Bond's like, no, 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 I've to, you know. I will respect your All's decision. All's fair. I'll call him <laughs> Blofeld he, if he likes it. Yeah. He only heard it after having like a dread in his head as well, but he still picks that up. Still remembers oh, he's got, that. Yeah, great memory. In fact, that improved his memory, that drill. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so we see the bulletproof glass and they're, they're standing on either side of the wall and we off this uh, or off the bulletproof uh, glass. And Blofeld had a big old scar across his face. Very much like the one in You Only Live uh, Twice. Pretty much exactly the same, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, but it hasn't fully healed because it's quite recent. So it's that same sort of mark and his eye is all messed up as well. But yeah, quite fresh, but the same sort of thing. And Blofeld says, my wounds will heal, but what about yours? And he says, look around you. This is what's left of your world. Everything you believe in is in ruin. And Bond then asks, so why am I here? Did you miss me? And Blofeld says, no. And then he breathes on the glass, goes like very calmly, like breathes on the glass to make some like steam it up, fog it up. And he says, well, I know somebody who does. And then uses his finger to put a question mark on the glass. And Bond kind of realizes what's going on. And is like, where is she? And Blofeld says, well, you'll find that out or you'll have to find that out. And then he turns to like this explosive switch on the wall and says it says three minutes on it and Blofeld says so you can either die trying to save her or escape and live with the pain and Bond says you're bluffing which is like well obviously not like come on <laughs> you meant to be good at poker Bond obviously not <laughs> bluffing like yeah idiot yeah. <laughs> but they stare at each other and Blofeld then just laughs and He's all like, but like quite casually fun laugh. Like, <laughs> I've really put you through it, haven't I? I love that delivery. I, yeah. I like that's. I wish we had more of this Blofeld. Like, I just because it's cheesy, and you know me, I love the cheese. Sometimes he loves the cheese. I love the cheese. I just, uh, yeah, like this this little tiny section of Blofeld being just like kind of proper villainous. Now, I I love it. Yes, yeah, but he says uh, that's brothers for you. They always know what buttons to press. Then he hits the timer and Bond starts running and he kind of stops at the lobby and is shouting, Madeline, Madeline, trying to find her. So 
yeah, again, I kind of like this. I don't know how earned this all is, this kind of scene. And again, it's more pictures of people. Like, we've seen this again and again and again throughout the film. I get what they're trying to do, that this building is a beacon of all the horrible things that Blofeld has done to Bond, and he's trying to make him go through it again, but I don't need to see Le Chief four times in the bloody film. I just don't mm. need that. And Mr. White? Like, what? <laughs> really? <laughs> I mean, I guess it's better than Patrice, but at the same time, it's like, we're just, just enough with the pictures. I like the idea of Bond being the one on the targets. I think that's fine. That's enough. You know, it kind of feels like an evolution of him attacking all those people is actually attacking Bond. So maybe let's focus on that. But yeah, and then we just have to see the prison cells. And it's like, I don't think it's bad imagery. We've just seen them four times. It's like, just enough. Leave Judy alone. Exactly. <laughs> alone. That's what I said at the very beginning. Leave her alone. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I, I don't mind them. I think, as you say, like if they just hadn't had so many beforehand, they would have been quite cool to see in this situation. But... Like, by this point, it's sort of rolling your eyes at it. And it doesn't help that the actual images they use are all very kind of promo shots looking. Like, it mm. just looks like, oh, that's from the film's marketing. You know what I mean? Which kind of takes you out of it a little bit. Um, I wish there were more sort of, I don't know, the images that you would have seen on a the MI6 database, maybe. Well, but- you think with this idea of surveillance and uh, Spectre can see everything, they would do like a personal shot that ties more to Bond. Yeah, because it ties yeah. into the theme of they they're watching and they can see everything. So why is it not that? What I'm assuming it's just like we just need some images and put them up there. But like, yeah, maybe create some unique stuff to tie into that idea of they were always there. Like you could have done that. They didn't, but you could have done that. Oh, that would have been really good. Yeah, like just like a I don't know Bond and Vespa on in the clinic or something. Or yeah, if they no. just played like footage or something, right? Like some yeah. sort of footage. You didn't need the real actors. Just have it like camera footage of it, just play the audio and just have some placings. Like you could have done that. I think that would have really hammered it home that he was always there because he can, he, he has this footage of all these events, but yeah. But I think the whole little, the, the little scene between Bond and, and Blofeld now, I, I like that. As I say, I wish that I had got more of that in this film. Um, I think this is where like you really get good idea of, of, of that Blofeld character anyway. Um, and I like his sort of giddiness of of like, laughing things off. I was looking at like the shot of it as well because it's very purposely shot where it's like very it's in profile and there's Bond on one side, there's Blofeld on the other, and you see Blofeld's reflection very very clearly like on top of Bond. So I'm like, oh, what are they are they you know are they saying something there about you know the the brothers stuff and and I was like, well, actually that's kind of. I kind of like that. I'm a bit of a sucker for little things like that, where they they clearly put some thought into that shot next to each other. And it's a heart that he draws, by the way. The oh, heart. I thought it was a question mark. Well, it does because he does one side of it, and then you see like the other side. He does. Oh my on. bad. I don't know. I, yeah, I guess that makes it. more sense. I thought he was just. Yeah, I guess that's a bit too much like the Riddler, I suppose. But I guess <laughs> yeah. I wasn't paying enough attention. I thought it was a question mark. <laughs> like, he, where is she? <laughs> I'll never tell. I'll never yeah. tell. Yeah, and then he takes off his clothes and he's got like a green jumpsuit underneath. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, it's good. I, I I quite like this little ending bit. I wish, as I say, just wish there was more. Yeah, but again, it's like, it's not going to change your mind. If if you didn't like Blofeld before this point and all that stuff, you're not suddenly going to be like, oh, okay, cool. It's like, you either didn't mind it or liked it before, and this stuff is an extension of that. So you're either, like, it's not going to change your mind. Um, 
I also kind of like to think, and this is just because I'm a bit of a GoldenEye um, fanatic, that the three minutes is a reference to GoldenEye. I don't think it is. Three minutes is a quite generic time, but that's how much time I think uh, they had in that film. I hope I'm right, because I think it's six minutes, but they actually halved it to three. So I like to think it's the it's a tie to that, but probably not. But it makes me think of GoldenEye when I see that. If that makes you happy, Tom, take it. Yeah, take yeah, it yeah, and yeah. run with it. I'm so happy. It might Just... even be wrong. <laughs> no, I think three is right. I kind of yeah. In the back of my head, I'm like three minutes, James. The same time you gave me, or something like that. Anyway, you well, um... said six minutes. The same six minutes you gave me. Then I think Bond says we have three minutes. It'd be weird yes. if it was like five minutes because it's like, well, a minute off is fine. I think it has to be half. I know it's the six and it has to be half for that to make sense. As in like, oh no, that's a lot less time. But anyway, getting distracted with Goldeneye. Sorry. You just want to go back to Goldeneye, don't you? Well, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Bond is, is running off shouting and uh, for Swan, Madeline. Um, but we are back with, with Q and, and M um, and the others. The whole gang. The little Scooby-Doo gang. <laughs> the MI6. The mystery <laughs> machine. Yeah. Yeah, it really, it really does feel like that. So they're still in that building. Uh, Q, you can see on his, his laptop, he is successfully hacked in now to the um, the, the system. Uh, and it says on the screen, you know, like, yeah, system eradicated or something or deleted. So that's that solved. One thing I forgot to mention earlier is it just makes no sense that this, this building is completely empty either. Like, what are you talking about? Like this system's going live. It's linking to nine other, like eight other countries. No C one was there. handling it. He was there. See, on his own, is handling. He was smashing everything. it. Honestly, it's just yeah. ridiculous. <laughs> the server just... crashes. He's just in the room trying to reboot them. <laughs> so, oh bloody no! All of these Ethernet cables. Like, oh bloody. Getting a phone oh, yeah. call, being like, "What's going on? See, it's down." It's like, oh, I'm doing it. I'm trying. The South Africans are online too. Like, oh. <laughs> It's just bits like that that make the film seem very weirdly empty to me. Um, but yeah, Q's done it. He's he's deleted the or stopped the nine eyes system going live. As that's happening, you do quickly see Blofeld is leaving the uh, MI6 building. He's he's getting uh, in a helicopter to escape, and back with M and C. M's got C kind of hostage. He's holding him by gunpoint uh, at the top of the building, and C starts to say how. Uh, you know, M, M doesn't matter anymore. Uh, all the sort of stuff that we've been saying the whole time, really. And M's like, well, something's got to matter. And as he says that, uh, Blofeld's helicopter flies past the building and that is the sound of it and, and you know, the action of it is enough to to give C a chance to um, grab M's gun that's pointed at him. So uh, the two sort of briefly wrestle, trying to control the gun between them. Uh, it goes off and shoots out the balcony there's a glass balcony next to him so that shoots out and then another gunshot upwards shoots some glass above them and then loads of glass falls down on top of them and the glass falling down uh causes c to fall backwards and <laughs> sorry i was just like reimagining this section of my head yeah so he's falling backwards and he's right on the edge and the balcony has been shot out obviously so he's kind of right on the edge you see his arms flapping and a, a quick shot of his face and the shock of it, and he falls down. He falls down to the bottom of the building. As much as we moaned about C, it's a very good. It's a good fall. You got to give it to fall, him. Fall, yeah. It's I mean, it feels fall. like the whole point in this building was just to have him fall through it. Yeah, yeah. 
It's the importance of handrails, people. Like you can have your Come glass, on, but guys. have something a bit more there. Uh, but yeah, it, almost kind of cartoony fall. Like the way he does, like right on the edge, and he's like, oh, oh. and then he falls. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but no, it's because that C gone, I'm happy. So I don't, I don't mind. Because M saw like, see you later as he falls. <laughs> it's pretty cool. That is pretty cool, actually. I must have missed that. Must have I do want to say, though, I forgot to mention it before, but obviously M doesn't make a quip, as funny as that would be. Um, there's been no quips this whole film. Quip, quips is in after deaths. Yeah. Or just, yeah. yeah like when. Fums was killed earlier. There was, he didn't say anything <laughs> about True. it. It's like what? <laughs> so I don't even think we get any for the whole film. Like obviously you get the lines and stuff, but in terms of like somebody dying and there's a quip, nope. Just skip it, I guess. They didn't come up with anything. They didn't try, which is weird because they did start trying in the Craig era. They weren't good at it, but they were making the effort, like the circle of life. But they just don't for this film. So. Mm. It's, we, not a it's quip. weird, but it's like, yeah, just missing. It's not a quip, but I think it's just as funny. And this is actually like a couple of scenes ahead, but I'm going to say it now. Um, they reach the bottom of this new building and, and Tanner's down there and he's like, goes up to the body and he's like, he's dead. <laughs> he <laughs> checks like, it, yeah. Thanks, Tanner. Like You're anyone. So useful. <laughs> anyone was questioning that. Yeah. <laughs> that really made me laugh. It's just like, oh, oh, Tanner. Poor what Tanner. What would we do without you? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no, he's got back up. No, no, he's dead. I've checked. He's dead. It's just like, I want to be involved too. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Bond is still trying to find Swan in the MI6 building. He's jumping over gaps in the floor. And at one point, he's kind of he reaches closer to the front of the building. And you can see Blofeld's helicopter is outside. And Blofeld's in the back seat uh, next to, I think it's the same guy that introduced, uh, was there for when they went into the, the building. Yeah, yeah, uh, the host, for, yeah. for lack of a better term. To sit next to him, and obviously there's a pilot in uh, flying it, and the helicopter sort of positions itself facing the building, and you can see that Blofeld is watching Bond as he's standing in this big blown out section of the building, kind of looking at each other, um, eyeing each other up. It looks very grumpy right now. Daniel Craig is his, yeah, <laughs> as you would, and not James Bond, Daniel Craig, just Daniel Craig. <laughs> Daniel Craig I can, looks very tired. I can tell the difference. Yeah, yeah, uh, and as he's standing there, he. He hears a scream coming from behind and thankfully he is right next to where Swan is. He busts open a door and you see through and she's all tied up on this chair. Like a lot of a lot of stuff, like all these like ropes stringing across and there's a the timer of a detonator next to her. So she's right next to a bomb. And uh, yeah, he, he rescues her and cuts, cuts loose the ropes. And there's about like 40 odd seconds left on the timer. So he grabs her and he says, do you trust me? Can't remember what she says back. Do she I have says, a choice? Yeah, do I have a choice? Yeah. Do I have a choice? And he, with her in his arms, they jump down because it was sort of set up earlier on that where this building is being uh, destroyed, uh, there's like a big netting at the bottom. Um, I guess like a safety net for workers in there or something. I don't know. But yeah, so there's a, a big net which they jump down into and they get caught in it and uh, it kind of comes loose a little bit and lets them, lets them down nicely at the bottom of the building. So they go and uh, run through a corridor off to off to escape. So by this point, M, Moneypenny, Q, and Tanner, because so many of them, they're all out now looking opposite the, to the MI6 building because they kind of hazard a guess to where Bond is, um, looking out to it. Blofeld in the helicopter says, 
goodbye, James, and goes to fly off. And the MI6 building, you know, the time is done. It all blows up. And you get this big CGI shot of the whole building coming down and, and yeah, being demolished and kind of like falling in on itself. You get some shots from the, the bridge, from Westminster Bridge. Or, no, not Westminster Bridge. Whatever bridge that is. Like, yeah, just people looking at it and screaming. So not not the best CGI. Um, I think when it's doing something so grand as that, like the whole building being dest- destroyed, it's a lot tougher to sell. I think the little explosion in Skyfall worked because it was only a small part of the building. I think by this point, there's been a few different sections that like CGI and green screen that have irked me. So I didn't really care at this point, but it's definitely a little bit like, mm, you know, a bit too much, I think. Yeah. Like for what's supposed to be quite a big symbolic moment, it's kind of not. Yeah. Like it's supposed to tie in a lot of this sort of stuff and you can think about that stuff and have that happen. But yeah, this is why, like, I think I said earlier about how, like, I didn't really connect that building to this film all that much. It's because it just doesn't really have much impact. It's just Bond runs around for a bit, leaves, and then there's just a CGI explosion. There you go. Like, for what what should be a big deal, it's just kind of not. It's just like, all right, it blew up. Yeah. Fine. It blew up. Yeah. It also doesn't help that, you know, it kind of has to be at night, I suppose, because the whole midnight stuff, but just more stuff of it being at night, and I just feel like, ugh. I don't like things being at night as much. I just feel like you doesn't have the same. Uh, I guess it's fine. I just just sick of things being so dark. Really, with this ending. Uh, anyway, you you see after it's exploded and, and demolished, you see Swan and Bond uh, in the boat that we saw earlier. They they drive out onto the Thames and uh, they start to follow the helicopter that Blofeld is escaping in. Swan takes over steering. Bond has a gun and he starts to he starts to shoot the helicopter as it, as they're following it along the river from very far away I might add like it's not a big gun but he's doing his best and you can see a couple of the shots hit the helicopter but they're not really doing much and after a few shots like you, you get the idea that oh he's really focusing now there might be like a sort of change in the in the music and he, he yeah you kind of get in. those horns like the classic Bond horns not yeah. like properly Bond theme, but yeah, you get those sort of horns. And he takes the takes the bloody shot, and uh, that's the <laughs> shot that hits a kind of part of the rotor at the top of the helicopter, and it catches a light. And that's enough to cause the helicopter to start having these warning sounds from the control panel, and the helicopter almost starts to lose control, and then you get a shot where the fire suddenly kind of erupts a little bit more and spreads and like now they're really in trouble. The pilot's shouting brace, 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 brace. And uh, he kind of makes the move to the crash land onto, this is the Westminster Bridge. Okay, I got the wrong bridge before. Yeah, so, yeah, they, they're near the Westminster Bridge. So they crash land and, and skid alongside the railing of it. So yeah, the place, the, the thing is wrecked and aflame. And it's at this point where M is suddenly there. <laughs> They've reached the bridge. There's all these police barriers now. It's all very quick um, to to get to this stage, but um, he's there and he he walks on through to to closer to the helicopter and tells someone to tells one of the, the policemen to stand down, stand your men down. Uh, Bond on the boat with Swan. He's docked on the other side of the bridge and is getting up. So now basically. The helicopter and Blofeld is in the middle and Emma's on one side and Bond is, is from the other side and Blofeld gets out, starts to crawl away from the wreckage. 
Bond walks up to him, Bond gets to him first, and it's just them two in the middle of the bridge. Bond's got his gun, he's aiming it at Blofeld. M is watching in the distance, and, and Blofeld looks up and, and says, finish it to James. And you kind of think, is he going to shoot him? Is he not? And he, Bond just lets the cartridge go from the, from the gun. And he says, out of bullets. And with that, he looks over. Uh, well, he kind of looks at M. He looks at Swan, who's back on the other end of the bridge. And he says, besides, I've got something better to do. And he walks away. He walks away from Blofeld. He just leaves him there. And he walks towards Swan. <laughs> oh. <laughs> he walks towards Swan. He tosses his gun away. And um, the two hug and, and kiss. And yeah, that's Bond making his decision. And just to end off this bit on the bridge... M walks up to Blofeld and just says, by order of the blah, 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 I'm detaining you under Her Majesty's government. And Blofeld just sort of looks a bit like, oh, okay, looks a bit annoyed, as you would. And it fades to black. Now, this would have worked a lot better if it was Tanner rather than Swan. And, and we all know it. <laughs> I'm the only one brave enough to say it. You're a brave man. Yeah. <laughs> well, we've built their relationship over these films. Bond's like, yes, Tanner, I'll go with you. Come here, I'm you. Just come here, Tanner. Um, so, oh, yeah. So I don't want to say, broadly speaking, I think it's very fair to say that everything from, like, the Blofeld reveal torture scene, even maybe the one before, like, this third act of Spectre is just a, a big old mess. Mm -hmm. And the first time you watch it, I already said about the what moments. This whole thing is just like, what? Like, you just... It just doesn't explain itself. It doesn't justify this. It's not really any... Like, the stuff, what this is meant to be a payoff to, just isn't there. You don't feel it. And you just come across... It's why it gives you that confused feeling, because you're just like, I don't know what I just saw. I don't get it. I don't understand what this is. It's it's just kind of not great. And the whole thing about Blofeld still torturing Bond, running around and finding Swan, just doesn't land it's not very interesting and just to have bond then just shoot the helicopter down like you know we saw with skyfall and i think the the skyfall formula is here for this specter film as well that they like to do like traditional bond with some twist for act one and act two but then the third act is where they then like do something completely different that doesn't feel like bond at all right and i would say they were somewhat successful with that with the scotland stuff but this time we got this London stuff, which isn't even the full third act. I think the torture stuff, you would have to put that in there. Like the Blofeld reveal with that. I think they, they then do that again with the twist and the reveal with Blofeld and the backstory. And then this stuff in London with him running around MI6 and M fighting C and then shooting the helicopter. Like it's all the act three. I think very deliberately not meant to feel like Bond, similar to Skyfall, but whatever worked about Skyfall just doesn't work here. Like, oh my God, this is just, oh my God, what a mess. Um, and I'm not really at the point where I necessarily hate this whole part of the film. I think, like, again, the helicopter stuff to me, and even the stuff we've, we saw already with Bond freeing himself from the cuffs, is able to rescue Swan in time and hear her. Like, to me, that is that representation of Blofeld made Bond stronger and more capable. Um, so I'm kind of allowed to accept that enough, but it doesn't mean this is a satisfying, interesting ending. 
it just kind of feels more like an ending. <laughs> like, oh no, there's the villain. Bang, bang. Oh, oh we got him. We got yeah. him. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> and that's it. And it's not very satisfying. I think you can, you know, it's like what I said with the torture stuff. You shouldn't have to think this much with a Bond film for it to make sense in that moment. Maybe there is thematic stuff that you think about afterwards and can discuss, but in the moment you should get the core ideas of what they're trying to do. And fundamentally, you just don't. Whatever the reason is that Bond can just shoot the helicopter and have that crash, it just doesn't work, especially the first time you're seeing it. It doesn't make sense. It's just boring. (laughs) It's just just boring. It's just a boring way to end it. Uh, And... Oh, it, it it is just a mess. Like, it really is. There's just so many things I don't like about it. But I, I guess on a more positive note, I'm pleased that they they obviously didn't want to kill Blofeld off, being that the villain that he is and the, the, the history of it. They wanted to keep that door open, which obviously did pay off a little bit. Um, so I'm glad they didn't kill Blofeld off. And I guess they tried to link that into partially Bond having grown you know from the casino royale days of i mean he couldn't kill because he didn't have any bullets but there is also that idea of would he do it he's leaving it for for m he's 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 not just a a killing machine as he was sort of thing and that that's okay i i like that stuff but then but then it wraps in the whole idea of like his his choosing between mi6 and and swan and it's that thing again of like just it's just i don't want this anymore i don't want bond oh i'm uh, i'm time to retire i've been here too long i'm out of this it's not my life anymore i just it's just outstayed its welcome and that's why i think this is just such an unsatisfying ending for me uh as well as like just not being a good stunt like action end helicopter crashes not really that interesting but they were trying they were trying to be they were trying to do more with this, the whole setup of it. M on one side, Swan on the other, Bond in the middle. Which way is he gonna duck? Which way is he gonna go? Who is he gonna pick? And he goes to Swan, and it's meant to be a oh, he's he's not going back to MI6. He's he's gonna go with her. But we've seen this sort of stuff before. <laughs> it's not new. Name it's one time. New. One time. <laughs> we've seen it before, and I mentioned that I liked, I did like the setup to Swan. That, and I think the way they started to craft that character being the daughter of Mr. White and, and having that connection to Bond of of assassins and she knows that life, that all worked for me. Like If there was someone that Bond maybe... I, mean, I think she's a bit young, really, but um, if there's someone that Bond is going to go with, sure, that, that lines up. I can buy that totally. But then they sort of fumble that character and they rush it and suddenly she... She loves him, and and then, no, actually, she doesn't want that love. So they they fumble that. Um, so yeah, <laughs> I didn't like it. I didn't like the ending. There you go. That's that's fair enough. Yeah, yeah, because this is supposed to be the payoff to all this stuff. It's but I don't think they did a good enough stuff. Like you know, with Vespa, it was about Bond actually had chemistry for her, and there was you know was in love with her, and decided I care more about this than killing. So you bought that idea. You bought that concept why he chooses this like i i don't think it's just him choosing swan or maybe it is or maybe it's not i think it's supposed to be more like he is just choosing to be done with this life 
now that he understands what it was with Blofeld being that connection between it all, that now yeah. that he understands what he is, he's choosing to break break the cycle almost, but like the ideas and this kind of, you know, the whole film should have been setting up this decision on questioning things, on thinking about stuff. And, you know, Swan does somewhat represent about, you know, asking about what happens if you stop. Like that, they're trying to plant those seeds there, but like that just doesn't come together. Like this needed to be more a consistent thing. So you kind of understand why Bond in that moment would make that choice. If you're going to have a finale, which is so blatantly and unsubtly about, well, we'll put him on a bridge. <laughs> we'll have two people stand either side. Mm. And let's see, like a dog where two people are like, come here, boy, come on, <laughs> come to me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, it's supposed to be that. Because I don't think M re- represents that anyway. He wasn't in the film enough to really represent that. There's no connection with Bond in this film. So it's just like, yeah, they probably... they If they were going to have this type of ending with the choice thing, that's fine. But you needed to set up a lot more to make that choice work and be interesting and for you to kind of be invested in Bond making this choice. Like, it almost should be like a relief or something, right? Like, finally, Bond is kind of making the right choice but like no not really bond has been having a hell of a time waving being cheeky making jokes kicking ass like he's had a blast like obviously the drilling stuff not so much but generally (laughs) this has not been a worn out bond this isn't the casino royale bond where he's so beaten and bruised through this all and how rough it's been he then decides to step away to choose a life with somebody he cares about like that's also part of casino royale and why the Vesper stuff works. You understand why he would step away. This is just Bond like, oh, I'll throw that drink down the toilet and just having a ton of time and with the parachute and Rome and stuff. Like so many times where he's having a good time that thematically it then doesn't tie into this idea of actually he dislikes this stuff. He doesn't. He loves it. Loves it. Yep. yep. And so it's like, yeah, like they probably shouldn't have framed it as this choice. Or if they were going to frame it as a choice, you got to build that more into your film for it to work in this moment and to have it be satisfying because this is it like this is the end like we're we're like done pretty much yeah and and not only that but if you're watching this for the first time this could have been the end of craig's tenure as well there was a question about whether he would come back so this was this was it this was all you were going to get potentially which i know when no time to die was announced and craig was going to come back that was like a big relief uh that he would at least have one final chance to end off in a better term um but that's part of the reason why i think coming out the cinema i was like right is is that it then um okay bye bye daniel (laughs) like yeah like it all built to this it's like what no no it didn't stop it yeah (laughs) come back (laughs) no very unwarranted yeah yeah which is why i think there's also the hatred towards the specter stuff because again all it was almost like the reveal of Blowbell Inspector is like, all this led to this and here's your big payoff and now you have your conclusion. The end. Close the book. And yeah, I, I think I've already said this, but yeah, this film does get a lot of assistance from the fact that No Time to Die exists. And mm. it means that this ending is not, it's not good, but it doesn't have to have the same weight behind it that it once did when it came out. Yep, totally. I guess I should end the film, shouldn't I? If you want. <laughs> there is a little bit tiny little uh, ending to it so after that it fades to black on the bridge and um we see just some very quiet shots of london empty kind of very early morning shots of london uh and then finally we we see q in his bunker 
uh, at his desk, a nice hot cup of coffee, you can see. And uh, the lift, as we saw that the lift earlier on, it starts to come down at the end of the room. And the Bond theme finally starts to come into play a little bit. Um, and the doors open. And it's Bond, of course. Q is asking, why are you here? Uh, I thought you had gone. And uh, by this point, Bond has walked up to him and he says, uh, I have. There's just one thing I need. And we then cut to some close-ups of uh, a car starting, like he's in the car, revving, and it's Bond and Swan in the Aston Martin DB5, and you see the car drive off down the, the London street, and the Bond theme finally plays. Boo! The Boo. end. <laughs> Boo this scene. Boo! You don't like this scene? No. <laughs> Bad. It, it It's almost like trying to have that moment at the end of Skyfall, where it's like, we'll bring back the old stuff, but where that was building all the way up to this, this is just like, we'll just put him in the DB5. It's tacked on. It yeah. doesn't matter thematically, it makes no sense, because he's supposed to be leaving that life behind. Why would he come back and get a car that got destroyed when, like, what, something that's so clearly tied to MI6, the one that he drove M with, the one that's like has all the gadgets, why would he want this car if he just tro- chose to leave with Swan? stupid uh but i think they just needed their last big exciting bond moment at the end so they just crammed this in it doesn't make any sense it's nonsense i'm so sick of this bloody db5 just get rid i know we have it in the next film as well because of this ending which is so annoying but it's like i don't care i don't get excited when i see this car you've done it too many times stop it (laughs) yeah yeah that's pretty much my opinion as well it was such an easy way out for them. They clearly got to the uh, like, right fate to black on the bridge. Oh, that's a bit of a that's a bit of a downer though. Get the Aston Martin back. Yeah, bring it back quickly. Wheel it out. <laughs> Whatever we can shove in that feels like Bonds. Play the Bond theme and get us out of here. And out of here we got. <laughs> <laughs> After so much time, yeah, yeah, we made it. Well, it does, I do just also want to say at the end of the credits, it does still say James Bond will return. That is still on there. So that's kind of nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that, even if Craig didn't come back, that was not going to stop him. No. Uh, so that was Spectre. So it's me to start, because that's the short straw I've taken for the <clears throat> Craig films. Yep. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Uh, yeah, obviously the last like two hours or so when we talk about the third act, it's been quite negative. But overall, I actually had a pretty decent time with this one. I do think there are some really great standout scenes with here. A lot of them in the first half, of course. And I think some of the more over-the-top elements with time, I've kind of learned to accept. I still think the approach to some of these story elements are a little bit weak, are a little bit confusing. Like, you can come up with explanation for some of this stuff, but I'm not super into that. But... I still think this, you know, we still get the Sam Mendes special, which is classic Bond, but done in a very stylish, over-the-top way. And it doesn't always work, but I think the stuff that does work is great. The funeral stuff at the beginning is is good. I do overall like the opening credits as well. Uh, that scene, or the, the single shot, I still think that stuff's pretty good. And the Spectre meeting scene in Rome, I love. I think that's a great scene. And I think... Outside of the Rome stuff, I do think the action is still pretty decent. Not great, but still kind of decent across the board. And 
I also do kind of like the look of this film as well. It does feel a little bit like Skyfall Light, unfortunately, and sometimes it doesn't always work, but I do think that does work. And I think Swan's a little bit wasted, but I think the actress holds her quite well, so that's nice. And I do like Christoph Waltz's Blofeld. I think he does a pretty solid job, um, and he does bring something to the film, and I think Blofeld needed a reinvention, and whether it was successful is is off a debate, but I think they do a decent enough job uh, to make this work. And I will also say that the pacing of this film is pretty good. It is long, but as as we said, like there was a clear effort to keep things moving. So even though it is 148 minutes, I think it might be the longest up to this point. I would still say I got more bored and felt more drawn out with some of the shorter films. Like I think there have been way worse paced Bond films. There was clearly an effort there. So obviously the stuff that doesn't work, some of the logic is a little bit funky, but I've come to peace with that to a certain extent and the sea stuff is just absolutely dreadful but it is kind of like a small part of the film ultimately it's bad it is bad and it definitely brings down the film but you know it almost feels separate to the bond and blowfeld stuff and i can somewhat kind of have a decent time going through those motions i think that works quite well but yeah i guess also in the negatives of course the music i've already ranted about that i won't go into that again just dreadful if not the worst, one of the worst Bond soundtracks because there was just such a lack of care in terms of what music should play when and how it should be used. Just doesn't, just such a lack of care and it just sucks so much out of it. And I think this film could have been massively enhanced by rearranging that stuff. But I appreciate the effort to have the old Bond stuff. I think they do an okay job bringing that back. I wouldn't say this feels like an old Bond film at all, but that's probably a good thing because this is the fourth film in the Craig era, so they had to balance their stuff out, and I still think they did a decent job with that. So despite a bad third act, I had a decent time with this one. I can enjoy the stuff that I think works, and I think it's it's decent, Is I guess is how I would describe it. So I guess i got to rank it. So my opinion before watching this film again is that it's not the worst Craig film. Quantum of Solace is worse, and I'm going to stick to that opinion. I think this is definitely better. I think the highs are much higher, and I think it's just a bit more of an interesting film than Quantum. And Quantum just wound me up because of how much of a mess it was. It was just this concentrated, frustrating mess. And in some ways, this is also a frustrating mess, but uh, I don't get as frustrated with it. So... I'm going to put it above that. I'm also going to put it above The Living Daylight because that just makes me sad, that film. Oh. Yeah, don't like it. Uh, but maybe that's... Yeah, so in terms of where I'm thinking about putting it, you know, obviously I think it's not as good as A Few to a Kill and License to Kill. I think those are over more better films. Um, so it's going to settle somewhere between Tomorrow Never Dies and Die Another Day. So I guess I'll start from the bottom again. <laughs> Uh, I think it's better than Die Another Day. I think it's better than Moonraker. Those films are the the city bomb films that I enjoy, but I think I get more out of this than that more campy, over-the-top style. And I think I like it more than Live and Let Die as well. I think it's just a little bit more interesting. And again, it, it does have those highs. And also, I will say, I think I am just a little bit biased towards the Craig era a little bit as well. Everyone has their eras they enjoy more of. I enjoy Sean Connery and Craig more than Roger Moore, like and Timothy Dalton. So for me, it's it's somewhat by default gets to go up a little bit higher because of that. So now it's like, do I like it more than Tomorrow Never Dies? No, I think Tomorrow Never Dies is a more tight film. 
knows what it wants to be a little bit more and is kind of just more enjoyable throughout because of it. So I'm going to put it there at number 15. So Tomorrow Never Dies at number 14, Spectre at number 15, and Live and Let Die at number 16. Hmm. So quite fairly middling. Very middle, yeah. Like a little bit below the middle in Alyssa 25, which makes sense to me. I, I had a decent time overall. I don't hate this film. There's stuff I don't like, but that's just where I'm at. I can have a decent time with this one. Okay. That's higher than I thought you'd go, actually. Um, but I think, as you were saying, like if you are if you have a soft spot for Craig's films, then it, it can't really go that low to begin with. For me... <laughs> Mm. Um, I, I, as I said at the very beginning of this podcast, I was pleasantly surprised that there was more in this film that I liked than I remembered. I remember just kind of detesting this whole thing, but I think that was a very kind of foolish, uh, standpoint to have. That's just kind of cloudy judgment and cloudy memory. Um, watching it, there was a lot of the earlier parts of this film that worked, the, the Mexico Day of the Dead stuff. I liked it for the most part. I liked them, Mr. White and the stuff in Austria. Um, not so much the chase, but I liked the the scene between Bond and Mr. White a lot. The funeral stuff already spoke about, the Spectre meeting, some issues with it, but I think it is overall very strong, very memorable part of the film. But it's kind of follows a similar pattern with a few films that I've that we've obviously spoke about. Whereas it starts quite quite strong. Maybe strong is not maybe not strong for me, but it starts quite good and um, it just falls apart in the third act. And I think, yeah, from from the whole, like after the train fight onwards, just takes a real big nosedive for me. Uh, and it's not even like just because of the Bond and Blofeld brother stuff. To me, that's unnecessary, but it doesn't ruin it. Um, I'd rather it wasn't there, but so be it. It's, it's really just... Yeah, an, an amalgamation of just all the little annoying parts coming together. The sea stuff, awful. <laughs> in it, in the film, far too much for my liking for being ultimately a very boring thing and, and a boring villain. Uh, where they took Swan, I think they kind of, as I say, fumbled her character towards the end. Music, bad. Action scenes, I think, really quite lacking for being anything too interesting or at least not having the Bond theme there makes it feel that way, even if it perhaps technically wasn't. Uh, that bad and I guess the thing to really wrap it up for me and this is why I'm ultimately placing it quite low down is I take a step back from this and ironically Blofeld in his little speech about uh, the man having his eyes gouged out and there was nothing in his head there was no soul that is this film to me this film to me has no soul it is very hollow to me Um, I guess there's an element of it kind of having those skyfall qualities but just not hitting that same height so it it doesn't feel like its own thing and it doesn't feel as good so it just feels empty and it literally feels empty on screen as well when there's just so many scenes where it's just like where is everyone what's going on um so that's why i would not want to watch this i have no inclination to watch this film again surprisingly not because of the blowfeld and the spectre stuff more just that it altogether feels soulless (laughs) <laughs> which is quite damning um, for me. But yeah. And so for that reason, I put it... Well, I was looking down the list and I start at the bottom, I suppose, is a good place to start. Fair. And Live and Let Die. I really don't like Live and Let Die. It's a similar film where I just don't want to watch that again. And I think 
there's more in, in Spectre that I do like from like early on in the film. So it goes above that. Uh, Octopussy is next, and <laughs> Octopussy is just like, yeah, I don't want to go back there. I don't want to go back to that. <laughs> I don't want to go back to that egg. So <laughs> it goes above Octopussy. And then next on my list is The World Is Not Enough. And I think actually The World Is Not, the world is not Enough had quite a few fun moments still, had better humour. I liked Electra. There's a lot more that I ultimately liked in The World Is Not Enough. So it's going to squeeze in quite nicely there at 22 for me. So below The World Is Not Enough and above Octopussy. I'll be honest, that's exactly where I thought you would put it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like it just when, made sense. When you're talking about the act-free stuff, it's like that's what you described Die Another Day, where it's like pretty solid stuff until the Iceland stuff. Yep. And obviously Spectre has that similar sort of structure, but yeah, that was always going to be more fun. And yeah, that that makes sense to me, but that does mean that it's gone up by two. Yeah, how about that? You love it. Way to go, way to go, Spectre. You're crazy for the Spectre. I'm mad, I'm mad about it. <laughs> I imagine other ways too. <laughs> yes. But no, like, yeah, that makes sense to me. I don't think it was ever going to come out of your bottom five. Like, no. When you got a history with a film like this, you alone on a train going <laughs> That's home. It. it. It hurt me, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> it is the author of all your pain, if you It will. got into my head just like the drill. So yeah, I can't felt forgive nothing. it. You didn't recognize people <laughs> anymore. <laughs> oh. But That's yeah, so you, you can't overcome that. If you saw a film, like, again, I had a pretty bad time at the time, but I then did see it again in the cinema. And I think that somewhat has helped me kind of come to this middle ground. Mm. It's not the one I'm desperate to watch, but I, I can at least see the, the stuff I do like at the very least. Yeah. Oh, so we did it. We did it. Just about. <laughs> Just about. <laughs> <laughs> It's always one of these, and it's quite interesting because this is going to be our longest episode ever. Uh, we do keep topping ourselves, but there is almost a part of me when we get to the end of these being like, did I fully explain myself properly? Did we actually properly tackle into this? But it's like, we talked about this film so much that I have to say yes. But even then, I feel like you could you could definitely write like essays about this stuff, really getting into your thoughts, you know? Like, oh, yeah. There is so much to think about and go into a specter that I think we got all our points out there. But yeah, it does. This is definitely one, and it's been the same with some of the other episodes. It was like, was there more we could have gone into? But it's like, at some point, it's done. The job's done. Job's done. I think there is more we could get into, but I think by that point, it's just not uh, worthy of a podcast. As you say, we could you could write essays about this, and you could you could write about the characterization of Craig and his tenure and all that sort of stuff. I'm not going to be doing that for a podcast. I don't think you want to listen to that either. So no. instead, it is just more of a by scene review and i think we do all right we do all right tom i hope so yeah but that does mean there's only one more film left it does we're almost done blimey that's exciting it was like a lifetime ago since we watched dr no yeah i know god wow <laughs> yeah <laughs> but the list is almost there which is quite exciting so we've only got one more film to put in the list being no time to die which mm-hmm. i have no idea where it's going to go in my head, it's as it currently stands, it's better than Spectre, but not as good as like Casino Royale. So maybe I changed my mind on that, but it could go quite high because I put Spectre at number 15. Yeah, perhaps. It's one of those films that I quite liked watching at the cinema, and ever since then, it's in my head slid down in quality. So I'll be mm. interested to see what I actually think of it this time around. 
Yeah, this is definitely for me the huge unknown. Like, yes, there's other films that I wasn't too sure about, like Live and Let Die. I wasn't sure if I ever even seen that film, but I've only seen this once, and I'm actually very keen to get back to it, even though it's the bloody longest one. So, <laughs> ah, that's good. I don't know what that means for this podcast, but stay tuned. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll get that tackled. So, any last thoughts before we go, Joe? Can't believe I spoke about Spectre for so long. <laughs> well, you had to. You had to. I had to. Is this how you felt with uh, Diamonds Are Forever? A little bit. It's done. It's out of the way now. Yeah. yeah. I was charging by the hour, though, so... Oh. That's awkward. Okay, well, we'll, we'll sort that out after. Yeah, we'll get that sorted, yeah. Okay, great. We can do something there. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, thank you very much for listening. You have been listening to episode 24 of the Bond Revisited podcast. The Bond Revisited podcast will return next week for No Time to Die.